Welcome again to the SEM Podcast. I am your host, Zach Hewlett, along with my co-host, Jack Bryce. And today we have our our guest is Chad Bacham. Chad, what part of the world are you calling from tonight? I'm in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've heard of that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we appreciate you taking some time. Have you listened to the podcast? You're familiar with kind of the format of everything we're doing? Yeah, I've listened to a few episodes. I saw one of my companions, Quinn Koferb, was on, and then I served around Christian Lucas, so I listened to his. Okay. And then I met Elder O'Brien right at the end of my mission, so I listened to, or at the end of his mission, right when I started, so I listened to some of his too. So yeah, it's, it's been awesome. It's been, I love what you guys are doing, and it's making it exciting to talk about the mission again and relive all these awesome experiences we have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're excited to hear yours. Quick reminder, we'll just touch on before before the mission, getting your call, go back to life after the mission and what you've been up to since then, and then we'll go back to Scotland. So you're up, Jed. Awesome. Well, yeah, like I said, great to meet you guys. I don't think we met on the mission because I served from June 2007 to May 2009. So were okay. either of you guys out? During that time? No, I, I I went home the first week of January, 07. So you missed me by six months. Gotcha. I got married like three weeks after you got there. So. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> Good for you, Jack. Well, so it's great to meet you. Yeah, because I don't think we've met before. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to be on. So uh, before, um, well, before I jump into it, I'm wearing a Scotland jersey. This oh, is nice. as far as I could get with my wife. I told her I wanted to wear my kilt and a Scotland shirt and a Jimmy hat. And she wouldn't let me. She's like, you can't do that. And I was like, you're not, you're probably not even going to watch this. And she's like, it's just too embarrassing though. You can't, you can't wear that. So I'm sorry. I know you guys probably would have loved that, but no, has anybody, know. has anybody worn their kilt yet on this? No, we I haven't, haven't, had, haven't had a CU Jimmy hat either. <laughs> I've got a couple of them. I'm going to have to get that out. Uh, yeah. That's disappointing considering this is. Scotland podcast and no one's worn a kilt. So sorry about that. But you know, first one to represent. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I like the concept. Let's say that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, so I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up in an area called Sugar House um in Salt Lake City. Um a fun fact about the area I grew up in, when I was five, uh, there was a movie filmed on my street. Um, and it was based in the early 1960s about baseball. And so they filmed this movie and we got to be extras in it. We were in this scene where they have a barbecue for the 4th of July. And we're like, this is fun. I was only five, really young, but I was like, this is great. No way. And, and then it ended up being a smash hit, The Sandlot. And so that was filmed. So if you've seen The Sandlot, you've seen the street I grew up on in my house. That's, That's awesome. Wonderful. Wait, hang on a second. Okay, real, real quick. Grandma Zach. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah yes so i i have some history with the sandlot too i was not in the film but where did they film the the scene for the fireworks they filmed it on brian avenue okay. so brian avenue it's it's like uh just below 21st east and just uh north of 17th south yeah um in salt lake city <laughs> that's crazy so you're a highland high kid right uh we actually were just outside of the border of highland so i went to east okay so this is going to blow your mind. My grandparents lived on Logan Avenue in one of the cul-de-sacs just south of 17th East. So nice. Yeah, the, that's right by where I live. The street 
was literally the next street over from my grandparents' house. And I was told this, I wasn't there or watched it, but I was told that they filmed the scene where the stepdad and Scott play catch kitty corner from my grandparents' backyard. So it was in one of the houses along the street. Um, but yeah, so I've walked by the pink house hundreds of times. That's crazy <laughs> that you grew up on that street. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. So the pink house is where Smalls lives, but then when he goes inside and in the backyard, it's a few houses up the street from me, which I guess is Kitty Corner from your grandparents. Yeah, are your, grand sure. are your grandparents the Hewlett's or? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Now, um, so this will probably date me a little bit, but um, so my grandmother passed away when I was a junior in high school, so that was 2003, okay. and she was a widow since the early eighties, my grandfather passed away before I was born. Um, so whether your parents are still there or were in the same ward, they probably knew my grandmother, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I must've seen her. Cause yeah, we grew up, I grew up there my whole childhood on that. Okay. Street, so. That's, That's crazy. Awesome. What a small yeah. world. Totally yeah, jealous. Really small world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally derailed your story. So come back to, awesome. to your story about, Starring in the Sandlot. No, that's, yeah, that's my claim to fame. I was the star of the movie at five. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Cool. You can see a brief glimpse of me. Um, but yeah, so I went to East High School. I enjoyed playing sports there. I played football and basketball. And another movie trivia was in between my junior and senior year, they filmed High School Musical uh, at East. And so we like went to go practice basketball uh, that summer and they wouldn't let us go into the gym because they were filming this movie and we're like what is this stupid movie let us practice like you can't just take our gym they didn't tell our coach or anything they just went and took it and uh and then it turned out to be this this kind of this hit so that was kind of fun no oh, it's it amazing fun. um yeah so i got um i got my i'll go jump to the mission call um so when i when i went and got my well i guess before i got my mission call i, I went to the u um i was there for a semester and then as I was <laughs> go Utes, yes, go Utes. That's right, yes. go Utes. Gotta shout yeah. them out every time I get it, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> There's not many people from the mission. When I was when I was in Scotland, there wasn't many people who were Utes fans. It was like one or two others of all the missionaries that I met. So I'm glad you're a Ute fan, Zach. Yeah, you you would have really enjoyed serving under President Sister Vereens because that was that was yeah. their thing. Like every interview <laughs> the score updates and <laughs> <laughs> it was so good loved loved the brains anyway i digress that's awesome yeah i never got a chance to serve under them but the the fredericks luckily were huge utah fans too so they oh i didn't realize that when i was there they were telling me how we won the the sugar bowl and beat alabama and all that stuff i missed all that whole season which was sad oh man but, yeah so <laughs> anyways so yeah so so i i went and put in my papers and i thought i'd get a call i heard of people who like said they wanted to go fast and they, they went in like two months so i was like oh great i'll get i'll get my call i'll go in like two months so i, I didn't do a second semester at the u i just did a, one semester and then was getting my call that winter but when i got it i didn't get it it, it wasn't two months it was four months out and i realized oh i'm not leaving until june i probably could have just done another semester of school so I kind of was sad about that, but I was like, I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure something amazing is going to happen in the last couple of months of my mission. I, I hope so. We'll see how that goes. So I'll have to come back to that later. But um, I was all excited about that. But I got the mission call um, and got all excited. And then my parents were like, um, Frederick, that 
we, we know some Fredericks. We had some Fredericks in our ward, and I didn't think about it, but they're like, that looks a lot like Paul Frederick. And Paul and Andrea Frederick had taught me in like Sunday school when I was a kid, like all growing up. And they were like, awesome. We all, all of his kids loved them. Um, they ended up moving across the street from us. They were up the street a little ways and they moved across the street. And so we like kind of grew up with them as like mentors and the cool young couple in the ward, you know? And so we saw as they had had kids and kind of their family grew as we were in that ward. And so we went out to dinner to celebrate. And then they were like night owls. Like every night they'd be outside to like midnight working on their house and doing yard work. So I went over there at like 10 or 11 that night after I got my call, knocked on their door and said, Hey, do you know, uh, do you know this Tom Frederick, uh, and Barbara Frederick? And they said, yeah. And Paul's like, yeah, that's my dad. And I was like, that's awesome. Wow. And so we were all excited about that. I mean, I was super excited. And my family was cause it's like, Oh, we got to go serve. I was all worried that I was going to have like a terrible mission president and they'd be super mean or something. And so when I had that connection and Paul was so nice and I was like, I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have your parents as, as our mission president. So he was super excited. And that was a cool kind of connection we made. Well, that's um, awesome. So I had my mission call and I was getting ready to go. And um, it was kind of a miracle. I ended up being able to go. So I got to share this story. So we, I got my call and then my buddy had had his call for a while. And he went, I think just a few weeks after I got my call. And so we, we were hanging out. He actually got set apart. And the night he got set apart, we went and like, hung out together and we're just, just, uh, just kind of saying goodbye. And we, we actually went to Highland highs football field, um, where, uh, I don't know why we went there. They were like our rival school, but we went and we were just hanging out there and kind of hanging out in the sugar house park area. And so we're chilling mm-hmm. there. And all of a sudden one of my buddies picks up a rock and just throws it through a window at the high school. And like, I want to be clear. None of us were down. We weren't there to like vandalize. Like we weren't there to do anything like that. We were just hanging out and saying goodbye to our buddy. He has, he's leaving for his mission the next morning. Like this is his last night. And so he throws a rock through the window. I'm like, why would you do that? And he's like, I don't know. And like, it was just a really dumb thing. We're like, that was really stupid. And we look up uh, and there was in the parking lot up above the, the football field, there was someone looking at us. So we're like, we better get out of here. Like we're going to get in trouble. So we go and run. All of a sudden, all there, there's all these sirens all over the place. We hop a fence and cop cars just pull up. They're right in the park, just like waiting for us. They pull up with a canine crew right there. We all just like stop and we're like, we're not running from dogs. Like, holy cow, like we're busted. Um, when my friend who threw the rock jumps over the fence and hides, doesn't get caught. The rest of us get caught. We give the cops our names. I don't know if we were like officially arrested, but we like give them all of our names and they look at our IDs and then they're like, hey, go home. So we, we go home and don't think much of it. Um, like a week before I go on my mission, I'm on a trip in California with, with <laughs> some of those same friends and they call me and they say, we all just got letters. We have to go to court, uh, on June 6th and June 6th was the exact same day I was reporting to the MTC. Uh, we flew out June oh. 5th and got there June 6th. And I said, you are you the kidding country? me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, are you serious? I am in so much trouble. And I was like, so I'm going to have a letter. I'm, I'm going to have my mission delayed. My buddy's on his mission. He's going to probably have to come home, like deal with this. Oh this is gosh. so stupid. Why did my friend throw that rock? And so I get home and there's no letter. I didn't receive a letter at all. And then we talked to my friend's parents and we're just like, hey, do you guys get any letters? Like we were really vague about it. And my friend who was on a mission and they're like, no, no, we didn't get any letter. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And so I'm like, all right. Great. And so I just went on the mission and was able to go. And my buddy didn't get called home from his mission. Um, it's kind of wow. Weird. That's unreal. 
Yeah. So, um, so, so, okay. So I'll jump to after the mission now, right? It's where you want me to go. Yeah. So after the mission, I get home. Um, I, I go back up to the U. I, I apply for a job. Um, I had a buddy, a few friends that worked at this aftercare program, which was like elementary schools that for kids who had to stay after elementary school, whose parents needed them to stay there. And I paid pretty well. And you just basically like play with kids at recess and like help them with their homework. And I was like, that sounds fun. Like, I like kids. I'll do that. So I applied for that and they do a background check and I get a letter saying that there's a warrant out for my arrest from two years ago for, for loitering at this place. Failure this high school. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I go to court, I guess my buddies had like gotten off when they all went to court and they're like, yeah, you know, this window got broken. No one ever paid for it. Um, and I was like, I didn't do it. And they're like, yeah, but you gotta like, you gotta pay for it. Or if you want to get a lawyer and defend yourself. And I was like, I'm not going to get a lawyer and go through all that. So I paid for the window and then the school still hired me and they let me work with the kids because I got it taken off and I had to get it all expunged from my record and stuff from this experience before. The oh mission. my gosh. What school was it? Um, so I went, I went to East and arrival was Highland and it was Highland that we were at. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was curious because I did that while I was at school at the U at one of the elementary schools on 1900 East. And I don't know. Oh, you're asking, name. sorry, you're asking what school I taught at? Yeah. Yeah. What school you did oh, the, the job at? A, I was saying we broke the Highland window, but um, no, the uh, Enzyme Elementary School up in the avenues in Salt Lake. Okay. Yeah. I did a, an after school program when I was at the U as well. And it was a lot of fun, but man, it was a lot of work. The yeah. kids treat, treated me like a jungle gym because I'm a little bit bigger than most people. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty wild. I taught with uh, three women, and I was the only guy, so all the kids wanted to play sports and do stuff. And same thing as me, man. Yeah, quite a parallel, unbelievable. That's awesome. It was fun though. We we did like we did Highland Games for one activity, and I taught them all how to do like the caber toss and the rock <laughs> put and all that stuff. It was it was a good time. Nice. Yeah, so I finished. Uh, I I finished my degree at the U. I played rugby one semester up there, which was a lot of fun. I never played before, but it was so big in Scotland. I was like, I gotta try this. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I studied accounting, um, and while I was there, I started a couple companies and kind of liked the entrepreneurship stuff. Um, but I ended up getting my degree in accounting, and I worked for an accounting firm called Pricewaterhouse Coopers. Mm -hmm. so we went and interned there. I, I got married a year after I got home. Um, and then I, my wife and I, we went and interned in DC for a summer. And then we ended up working. I worked four years in Los Angeles. Um, we lived just outside LA in South Pasadena, which was awesome. It was a great, it was a, such a fun place to live. We were like a few miles away. Is there more connections, Zach? I lived in Glendale for two years. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> my ward, I was in neighbored the South Pasadena ward which my word, the parallels are uncanny. It's unbelievable. We like barely missed each other's paths over and over again. It yeah. It's, you're like a mirror image of me just a few <laughs> years behind. That's unreal. That's crazy. Um, what years were you in Glendale? Uh, we moved there summer of 11 and then we moved back like the spring of 13, but we wow. lived in Glendale for the first year and then moved to the West side. Cause I did, I did sports, um, like administrative stuff there. And so I got my first full-time job at UCLA and driving from Glendale to Westwood was not a picnic. I can tell you it was unreal. Yeah. No, that sounds rough. <laughs> um, 
So that's cool that you worked at UCLA. Um, we, we, we live just a few miles south of the Rose Bowl where UCLA Stadium mm-hmm. is and where the Rose Bowl game happens each January 1st. Yeah. Um, and we were just about a mile south of where the Rose Parade starts. So we would just walk up the street to the Rose Parade and watch it take off and then walk back down to the house. It was such a cool experience. That's amazing. Yeah, highly recommend California with, between that and like Disneyland and Universal and the beach. And there's just so much to do. It's an awesome yeah. place. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so then I, I decided I didn't want to do accounting anymore. So I came, I went back to school and did grad school at BYU actually um, and got into product management. And so that's what I work in now. I, I uh, when I was in grad school, I did an internship for Verizon in New Jersey. Hmm. Let me guess, you lived it in New Jersey as well. <laughs> no, okay, you went to BYU, and that threw off your university. <laughs> yeah, that, that really that really skewed things. That was hard because I was a big I'm a big Utah fan, and still am. But uh, here's 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 my funny story. I did grad school at Gonzaga, so I'm oh, I'm like the double barreled BYU. <laughs> team teams that BYU doesn't like. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, so yeah, so I we intern I interned in Jersey for Verizon. That was fun. We were just outside of New York City, so that was a f- really fun summer going into New York a lot. Um, it was a good time, and then uh, came back worked worked there for a while during COVID, and so I was able to stay remote um, in Utah while I worked for them. And then uh, I got a job last year for Gab Wireless, and I work their company. They do Safe Tech for Kids. Uh, like mm-hmm. phones and watches. So I work on the Gab watch as a product manager and that's a nice. fun place. I feel like I'm Tom Hanks from big. I just play with toys all day and test them on my kids and my kids tell me what we should do. And, and I take their advice. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we do a little more, you know, customer research than just my kids, but it's fun that the kids have some input on that. Um, awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm married, uh, live in Saratoga Springs. Uh, we have four kids. Um, Noah's eight. Uh, Liv is five, Miley's four, and Emma's one. And yeah, we have a lot of fun. My, I coach my kid, my son's football and basketball teams, and that's that's been a lot of fun. We had a game tonight, so it was a it's a good time. That's awesome. So that is oh that gosh. was kind of a long background. So sorry for the long background, but that was can... that was perfect. I'm sorry, <laughs> most of it was me saying I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> We're gonna have to hang out and swap stories. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. All right, Chad, take us to the MTC in Scotland. Okay. So the MTC, we fly over there. I walk in and it's all the, all the Americans walk in because we all flew over together. And as we walk in, all of the English missionaries walk in and the other European missionaries and just like stare at us. And it's like, we're like on either side of each other. And we had like a stare down. I don't know why it was like <laughs> the Americans are here. And everyone just stared at each other down. And I thought it was going to be like a scene from West Side Story. Like I thought everyone was going to start like snapping or something because we kind of just stood there. And it was me with the with the Americans and Elder Waite was like the leader of the English missionaries. And we kind of just showed each other and, and then we just made small talk, like awkward small talk. And it was like, are we going to be friends? Because they had been there. I don't know if it was just that morning or for a day or something, but they'd been there mm-hmm. for a bit and had like formed some camaraderie. So they were like, here come these outsiders and how's this going to work? <laughs> um, but, but we got along great with them. We had a great time there. The MTC was amazing. I mean, I was a huge, I'm a huge Utah fan. So when I gave my farewell talk, I was saying how I knew it was a calling of God because I'd never had a set foot in Provo. And I just got to go straight to England and go to the press in England MTC. And I was so grateful for it. Totally backfired when I ended up going to BYU and living in Provo. Um, and I, then I realized Provo was actually pretty cool and BYU is not so bad, but, um, 
I loved I loved it over there. It was it was so fun. Um, I had uh, my companion there was named T, uh, Tim Reedhead. He served his mission in England, so he didn't go up to Scotland, but he was from Snowflake, Arizona, um, and he was hilarious. We called him Elder Happy. He just would joke around all the time and was always laughing. Uh, we had such a fun time there. We would we'd go down every night at the end of the night and eat crumpets downstairs. Did you guys ever do that? Go down and get some crumpets? Oh, I ate more toast there than I probably have in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, about, I don't know about the crumpets though. That's pretty cool. We, we'd never had crumpets before. A lot of us Americans. So we, every night would go down and just, just cover those things in butter and they would just melt into the inside. And, well, oh, we loved it. And we, we, we did all these things to get like special permission to do things. Right. We would, are you a big crumpet guy, Jack? Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't say I discovered it in the MTC though. I think it was my first area before I had crumpets. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, we we discovered them early, and we were like addicts. We would we would ask for special permission for all sorts of things when we were there. And President Sorensen was our MTC president. He okay. was awesome. He just let us do everything. So he was like, "Yeah, you guys can go down and stay up a little bit later and go get some crumpets." So we'd go stuff our faces right before bed. And then <laughs> one night it was like nine or nine thirty, and we go and like knock on his door, and he comes to his door in like shorts and a and just his garment top. And he's like, "What's up, guys?" And we're like, we noticed there's a there's a, a church like just next door, right? Like right by the temple, uh, like the stake center there. Um, and there's a basketball hoop in there. Can we get keys and just go do our morning workout and play basketball over there? And he's like, sure. And he like goes and gets his keys and gives them to us. So we'd go play basketball every morning over oh in that in gosh. that gym. Um, <laughs> that would have been a dream. Yeah, it was awesome. And we played a so- bunch of soccer, you know, on uh, I had an exercise time or something and we'd play soccer. But we just loved it. And we would always sing. We'd run around the English people, the Englishmen and English women and sing the national anthem and show them our true American spirit. They, <laughs> they hated us, but it, it, was, it was a good time. So, yeah, we had a, we had a lot of fun. And I, I love those missionaries that I, that I served in the MTC with. We, we got along really well. Um, uh, Elder Wake uh, was a Scotland missionary who you'll definitely have to have on your show, um, on your right. podcast. But he... We never served together in Scotland, but served around each other a lot, and we we had a lot of fun together. What's his first name? Uh, Sean. Sean. Sean okay. Wait. Uh, he's from. I think he's from Leeds. Okay. Nice. In England. Yeah. Um, and then the the a great story from the MTC too was we um, did you guys go tracting when you were there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to go tracting right in one of the towns near Preston. Yep. Um, so we went tracting and, and they gave us a few book of Mormons and we went around and, and me and elder Reed Hebb were together. We went around and handed them out and, and, uh, we just had this, uh, incredible experience. We went to a few doors. Most people just yelled at their door. Like they'd have their door open and say, no, go away. And we didn't even get a chance to like knock on the door. Um, but we placed a few book of Mormons to people and then the, we, we weren't seeing much success. So we, we like not many people were listening or wanted to chat with us. So we stopped and we just said a prayer and said, you know, we're just young missionaries, no idea what we're doing, no idea how to teach or anything. But we just said, Heavenly Father, help us find the right place to go. And then we we looked at the map and we just both looked at it together. And then we both kind of pointed to this one street and we're like, let's go there. And we both felt good about it. So we go down the street, the first house, before we had a chance to knock, they yell at us and tell us to go away. And we're like, okay, then we've received false revelation. And then we go to the next house and knock on the door. And this girl answers it, who's about our age. She's 18 or 19. And she just sat there and listened to us. And we just taught her the first lesson. And uh, 
I'll never forget. I went into the Joseph Smith story, which we'd all, you know, recently memorized. And I just started telling her the Joseph Smith story. And um, as soon as I said pillar of light, like a tear just went down her cheek. And then wow. we, we just finished the story. I finished the story and my companion finished teaching. We were teaching together. And she, by the end, she was just like bawling and crying. And she didn't really say anything. We didn't do a good job of like asking her questions or like, you know, asking how she's feeling. We just, you know, went through the whole thing and she was crying and we, we got her name and, and said, we'll send the missionaries over and, and created a referral card. And she said, yeah, I'd love to have them over. And that was kind of it. But I remember that, that feeling that I had, I'd never felt the spirit that strong. And I thought, uh, her name was Rachel Taylor. So I, I need to track her down and see if she ever got baptized. Cause I never was never able to follow up with the missionaries there. Yeah. I, I remember thinking at that moment, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to Scotland. I'm probably not going to teach hardly anybody. I'm probably not going to get any baptisms, maybe one or two. Right. But no matter what happens, the whole mission is worth it for this one experience because it was like a life changing moment. Right. When you, when I, when you feel the spirit teaching like that, it's just an incredible, incredible yeah. feeling. Um, oh, That's cool. So, yeah, so that was the MTC. And then we jumped on a, on a, on a, I think a van took us to a train and then we took a train up to Edinburgh yeah, that's really great. Um, and went up there. Uh, one of the first things we, <laughs> yeah, one of the first things we did was um, we climbed Pratt's Hill um, and went up there and dedicated our missions. And that was a really cool experience being at the top of that hill and, you know, where Orson Pratt was and where he, he asked for whatever, 200 baptisms or 400 or whatever he asked for. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then went out and got them. Um, and dedicated Scotland as a mission. So it was really cool to be, be up there and do that, dedicate our missions. Um, yeah. yeah. And then met president Frederick and sister Frederick, and they are just, just awesome. They're incredible. We still see them uh, from time to time. They live uh, near skyline high school. Um, oh, nice. And so we would, we had the reunions with them after, and we still see them from time to time. And uh, they're awesome. Yeah. Tom Frederick is just like, a solid, solid guy, like just like solid earth type person. And, and Babs, as I call her, Barbara, his wife is just hilarious. We would, we love joking around with Babs and she was just incredible. She was really fun. So it was great to meet them. Um, and then I got to my first area um, and Quinn Coford trained me. You guys both know Quinn, right? Oh, I, I know Quinn very well. <laughs> yeah. So Quinn, he, I met him through this. You met him for the first, Yeah. Yeah. And Quinn was a it's great. Was a greenie in Peter in Peterheed when I was his own leader at, in Aberdeen before I went home. Nice. So that's how I got to know Quinn. Yeah, he I heard I heard his his uh him come on your guys' show. He did a he did a great job. He was so <laughs> funny. He was great to serve with. Um I have to have a bit of a rebuttal, but not really. He talked a lot about my terrible driving. Um <laughs> I heard that part. And he called me out for that. And I can't really dispute that. Um, we get there. We un I unpack all my stuff. I'm like, what are we, you know, what's going on today? And we were, we're like just kind of hanging out for a bit. And all of a sudden he goes, okay, it's time to go. And I was like, oh, where are we going? And he goes, oh, we have a, we have a dinner appointment. We can't be late. We got to be there in five minutes. Um, and I go, okay, great. And he hands me the keys and he goes, and you're driving. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you got to drive. And I go, no, no. Like, what kind of car do we have? And it was like a Corsa, I think, or a Corsica, one of those Vauxhalls. Yeah. Um, and he gives me the keys and he goes, 
I go, no, you got to drive. You've been, you've been here for what, like a year? Like you should be the one driving. And he's like, no, I failed my driving test. So he makes fun of me for being a bad driver. He didn't pass his driving <laughs> test. And so he's like, he's like, I didn't pass it. You got to drive. Um, and we got to be, get there fast. And I said, I, is it a, is it an automatic? And he goes, no, it's a clutch. I go, I've never driven a clutch before. <laughs> and so he's like, you got to drive this clutch. And yeah, you sit on the wrong side of the car, right? You sit on the left side of the car. So you have to be doing the stick shift with your left hand. You sit on the right, right? Stick shift on the left. Uh -huh. um, you're on the left side of the road. Yep. There's roundabouts everywhere. And the streets, the street sizes are all, <laughs> should all be one way. They shouldn't be two ways. They should be one way. And then on top of that, cars park on both sides. Two wheels are on the on the on the sidewalk, right? But two wheels are in the street. So it's like it's smaller than a one way and two way and it's a two way traffic. And I'm like, I'm from Salt Lake where like everything is wide. Brigham Youngville, everything so a wagon could flip a U turn. And you're telling me to drive through this. And I'm used to my body being on the other side of the car. So every time I'm driving, I'm veering to the wrong side, right? Um so he's like, Yep, we gotta go. Hurry up. And I'm like, okay, so we get in the car and I'm driving and I'm like, I can't do all this. I don't know how to use this extra, you know, clutch with my foot. And so I'm going to do the clutch. You tell me when to push the clutch in and you, and you just shift for me. Cause I can't, I'm going to kill us. Like we're going to die. Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't a bad driver. I was a fine driver, like in America and an automatic, you know? So, so he's doing the stick shift for me and he's just terrified. Like he just knows we're going to die and we both kind of accept we're going to hit stuff. So I'm just nailing curbs. I'm nailing. I'm, I'm nailing garbage cans. Um, like I'm stalling as we go into these like five lane roundaboots and like trees and houses are on the inside of this roundabout. And I'm like, what is going on? I've been through one little roundabout at the U and that's it in my life. And so now there's like, there's like stoplights and all this crap going on. And it was just a nightmare. So unbelievably, I never got like in a real accident. I never hit another car or hit like a street post or anything like that. I never did damage to the car. I just hit some sidewalks and some garbage cans. So for the most part, it was, it was okay, but yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, what area was this then? Down. Oh yeah. This was in East Kilbride. Okay. So East Kilbride, uh, just outside of Glasgow. Oh wow. my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. Quinn, Quinn, I taught a couple of that. my companions to drive, but it was out in the country. Peterhead. <laughs> Yeah, that it sounds and, a lot more safe. And Zach knew how to drive stick already, so yeah. Man, Jack Jack did the terrifying. same thing to me when I was a greenie. He's just like, "All right, here's the keys," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> but yeah, luckily for me, I had a stick shift all through high school, and so I that was my like go to. But the orientation of doing it backwards because the gearbox is still the same. Yeah, you know, first is up in the top left. You're doing it with your left hand. It was totally different and uh, had to get used to it, but yeah. I did. It was fun. Eventually. Yeah. yeah I kept <laughs> driving on the right side of the road and he would grab the wheel and pull it back. And yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> um, but I got to tell a funny story about, about Coford. So at missionaries, I had, a, uh, I had a girlfriend in high school. So she was, she said she wanted to wait for me. And I was like, sure. Like I figured, you know, she might want to date, but she's like, no, no, I want to wait. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. That's great. So I had, she would send me, boxes and packages and and i and i'd share those with with quinn and my other companions um and i brought out pictures and it was crazy to me how obsessed missionaries were with pictures like every time i was around another missionary they're like do you have pictures oh you have a girlfriend can i see pictures can i see pictures and it was like kind of weird i was like i don't know like what <laughs> like i wasn't used to like looking at buddy's pictures this is before like 
like when I started serving my mission, iPhones came out like right then. And so it was like, we weren't used to having pictures all the time, but everyone was missionaries just loved them. So I was looking through them. So Quinn's looking through my picture, my pictures of uh, my girlfriend and, and her friends and our friends. So other girls too. So we saw this one girl named Kaylee and he's like, Oh, like Kaylee's really pretty. I want to date her when I get back. And he'd always talk about Kaylee and joke around about how cute she was. And so <laughs> one day at the end of the night, we're hanging out. I'm like filling out the area book or something. And he walks in and nothing but his garments. Um, and he's wearing his glasses and he had a retainer and he goes, come on, elder. How is Kaylee going to say no to this? And right as he says it, all of this drool comes out of his mouth inadvertently and just splashes on the ground. And I was just dying of laughter. And then he got all embarrassed and started laughing because he was trying to be funny, but didn't mean to drool everywhere. And oh man. So I guess him and Kaylee didn't work out, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's happy to be married now. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Oh. And he was really skinny on the mission, right? I think after the mission, he like bulked up and got pretty buff, but mm-hmm. it, he was, yeah. it was hilarious. He was like a pencil. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, when I went, when I went out there, um, I pictured a mission being like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be, I'm going to be in Scotland. So every house will be like, you know, 500 yards away from each other, like a mile and everyone's going to be on farms. And then I'll just be walking through, like pushing sheep out of my way as I go to the next house and we'll just knock doors all day. And that's, that's going to be my mission. And that's great. Um, but we get there and they're so focused on missionary on uh, member missionary work. It was all about member work. And the, and the people of Scotland were just awesome. They, um, I couldn't believe how much missionary work they did. And I remember thinking I have never even met the missionaries, maybe once or twice um, in Utah because it was they covered several stakes and you never really saw them. I think they came over for dinner twice in my life and definitely didn't ask us to do missionary work, really. They, you know, maybe said, like, share your testimony and family home evening or something. So um, it was incredible that these missionaries, that these members as missionaries would invite us over and we would teach them how to do missionary work and they'd invite their friends um, to come learn from us. And it was a lot, it seemed a lot more beneficial doing missionary work that way than just knocking doors all day, because uh, I think we, we found a lot more people that way, but I didn't think that was normal. So I was like, no, 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 we got to go knock and let's go, let's go play book of Mormons. I did it at the MTC. Come on, Coford, let's go knock some doors. Like, and he was like, what are you talking about? And he was, he was not down. Um, and, uh, so we did it like once or twice. Then I saw it didn't quite work the same way in Scotland as it did in England. Um, and, but, but anytime like I ran into like the mission was pretty intense and anytime I like ran into something kind of like, Oh, this is different than I thought a mission would be. Um, I thought back to the first zone conference I had and president Frederick talked about, he gave like an, a Harold B. Lee quote. Um, I believe it was Harold B. Lee. And it said something along the lines of, um, even if you have a better way of doing things, do it your leader's way and you'll be blessed. Um, as long as the leader's not completely leading you astray or anything, just if it's two different ways of doing things, do it your leader's way and you'll be blessed. And I saw that over and over again on my mission that if, when I listened to, to the leaders in the mission, we definitely was, was blessed and we definitely were blessed as we did member missionary work. Um, so another surprise of the mission is we were going to visit a recent convert um, in this first area. And when I look over and this kid is, he's four years old, couldn't be more than four, had a cigarette butt and was, was second on the cigarette butt and had a bottle of wine and was, was drinking the wine and trying to get his cigarette butt. And I'm guessing he just found the bottle of wine on the ground and it was empty and the cigarette butt. But I was like, where are we? Like, what is going on? Like, 
It's just crazy. And I saw stuff like that all the time in the mission, but it was like, it was so sad. These kids, this little four-year-old like doing probably what he's seen or whatever. Like, Oh, like I'm seeing people doing this. So I'm going to do this too. And you yeah. definitely start that was, stuff at a young age. So it's hard to, there was a part member family that explained to me the law was that you could, you could give your kid wine in the home at age five. And it's like, Whoa. Jeez, oh wow. That's different. That. <laughs> and then they did while we were yeah, there, there at a DA. <laughs> <laughs> the non-member parents like, here, son, try this. <laughs> okay. That is wild. That is wild. At least they explained it to you. So they you weren't just like, oh on. my gosh, that is a, that is a egregious error. I was still, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. That is wild. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the, the first area was awesome. We, we spent a lot of time with the McNally family. Um, they had a couple of boys and Stephen McNally was, I think he was 16 and he'd come out teaching with us all the time. And for a while, I basically like live with the youth because, because Coford was like always going on exchanges. So our zone leaders were, uh, elder Lucas and elder Stringfellow, And he, we were always going on exchanges. So I spent a lot of time in Glasgow, like downtown where they were serving. Um, and we were on exchanges a bunch. And then uh, Coford got called um, to go serve in Edinburgh, in Whitewash, Edinburgh. And so like the last like two weeks, he was like gone. So I was like this brand new missionary trying to like run this area with like, sometimes like a youth was with me all day. Other times I'd have another missionary with me, but it was like, it was pretty out of control. So it was like baptism by fire really quick um, in that area. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got to share this, this story um, about when we baptized Grand Buchanan. So when I first got there, uh, a girl named Lisa Brown got baptized that they had taught. And then, um, we were teaching Graham Buchanan and his wife was a member. Um, but he had come along really well and, and, and Coford had taught him for a while. Um, and so I'm on exchanges in Glasgow with Stringfellow and Elder Lucas was with Coford and Airdrie, um, at a baptism and Graham Buchanan went to the baptism and uh, felt the spirit, and they said the font is already full. Do you want? To, or I think they had actually started draining it. But they go, the font's full. Um, do you want to get baptized right now? And his baptism date was like in like a week or two in East Kilbride. But they're like, why wait? And he's like, yeah, I want to do it. And so they call me, and the way we were going to do it was we were going to baptize him together because he had bad knees and he was a big dude. And so we had uh, both of me and Coford in the font to help get him down and get him back up because he couldn't bend. Mm -hmm. uh, his knees at all. And so we needed both of us to lift him up. And so they call Stringfellow and they say, you guys got to get up here right now to Airdrie. We're baptizing Graham and, and Chad's got to be here, you know? And so we take off and Elder O'Brien was the AP, I think. And he was in Glasgow with us for some reason. And so he just takes off in his car and Stringfellow is like, Hey, catch up to him. And O'Brien's going like, it had to have been like 115 on the freeway. <laughs> And once again, I'm not used to the stick and the driving and all this stuff, but freeway was easier because not, you know, you'd get in fifth gear or whatever and just go. So we're, he's flying. And it was like a scene from a movie. Uh, Stringfellow loved um, classical music and he was playing Carmina Burana full blast. And that's the one that's like, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And so it's like this music and I'm going like a hundred. I was going over a hundred. O'Brien was pulling away from me and Stringfellow just so calm was just catch up to him. 
catch up to him, Elder Bacham. Don't lose him. Because we didn't know where we were going. And he's just, it was like a scene from a movie. I felt like a James Bond movie or some intense scene where it's like classical music in the background and one dude just talking calmly as all this chaos is going on. And I'm like, we're going to get arrested. Like, I'm going to get my driver's license taken away. But we fly up there. Luckily, we didn't get a ticket. We get we get to the baptism. Um, and this is when Kofor decided to tell me I was going to be the one performing the ordinance. The whole time I thought I was just going to be helping him. And I didn't know the baptismal prayer. I hadn't memorized it yet. And so I'm freaking out, like trying to like learn the words, like learn Graham's full name. And I'm like, the first bat, like it was like, it was just out of control. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. Like, well, I got to get him all the way under. I got to say the words, right. I'm so nervous. Um, but we go in there and, and uh, do the ordinance. And then Coford, he goes all the way under and Coford, good thing he was there. Cause I could not have lifted him with one hand. He's there with both his hands and, between the two of us, we get him back up and, and do the baptism. Um, and then, and then, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. But then in East Kilbride, the bishop is furious at us because he's like, we had a whole baptismal, you know, schedule, plan, a whole baptismal program planned for Graham. And we were gonna, like, welcome him to the ward. And none of his ward members were there. It was just like him and his wife. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Um, and so, yeah, they didn't, it, it, yeah, he didn't like us too much. <laughs> so... For the next like week or so, I think I was in Glasgow most of the time, and Lucas was there trying to smooth things over with Kofer with the bishop <laughs> because he was so mad. Uh, but that's kind of how the mission was. It was just out of control, like 100 miles per hour all the time, just go, go, go. And it was like, uh, it was just like unbelievable. Like this, this, it was like just spiritual to the max and just such a cool experience. So. That that was the first first companion with Gopher. Um, wow. Yeah. So he moved on. Um, I stayed in East Kilbride, and Leo Humphreys came and was my companion in East Kilbride. He's from Verwood, England, um, and he was awesome. I was all worried because I was with you know Coford and Stringfellow and Lucas so much, and they were all so intense. And then I'm like, what if this guy's like apostate or something, right? Like my second companion, what if he's not into the way the mission's going and the member work and the exact obedience? Um, but he was awesome. He was great. And it was kind of funny because I'd only been out six weeks. He was out four and a half months. Um, and so we were super young companionship, but we had a great time and, and did a lot of stupid stuff. So the first stupid thing we did is um, Lisa Brown, um, was uh, she was about 16, I think. She'd gotten baptized. Um, right when I got there. And then Stephanie Durning was another recent convert and she was 16 or 17 and had been baptized, I don't know, like six weeks before I got there or something. So two recent converts and and we'd go over there and we'd teach them with, uh, you know, I always brought a joint teach, even though they were both members, we had to, you know, bring another male with us. So we'd always go over there and teach them. Um, and they said, we have some friends that would love to to learn from you guys. I think um, that like, we have one friend in particular that should be interested, but um, she's not going to come to our house for lessons. So we want to go ice skating and have you guys go ice skating with us and our friends. And so I was like two missionaries going ice skating with four, like 17 year old girls, like pretty close in age. I was like, this is like a double date and this is just stupid, but we're like, well, but they might be interested in this was a creative way to find people. So we go on this double date and we, <laughs> we didn't wear our mission badges. We were supposed to wear our mission badges all the time. Right. But I was like, we, this will look so bad if we have our, in it. so, they say to always wear your mission badge because then you don't do something stupid because you know you have your badge on. They don't say take it off and do something stupid, right? So that's, we should have known that, but we didn't realize. <laughs> so 
legal ice skating with these girls. Um, and it was, it was, it was fun, but it was pretty awkward. Um, and, uh, and their one friend that they're like, she'll for sure be interested in the gospel. She wasn't interested at all. They had another friend named Heather Falls and they're like, she won't be interested. Definitely not, but whatever. And as we're ice skating and talking to them, Heather was the one that was, was super interested in it. So it was awesome. So we taught her, um, and she ended up getting baptized, which was, which was awesome. And, and she progressed so much. And, um, just seeing some of these people who gave up so much, like Stephanie Durning, like she, her family did not want her to join the church when she joined before I got there. And she like kind of gave up like family relationships to join the church, like with their parents and stuff. And I think rekindled, um, afterwards, I, I hope, but like, yeah, it was like, there, the kid, these people gave up a lot and Heather falls with the same way. I think Stephanie's parents were maybe a little more supportive. Heather's not as much, but they eventually signed off and let her get baptized. But it was just incredible to see these people just sacrifice so much for the gospel and, and the faith that they have was absolutely incredible. Um, so then we, after this, this ice skating thing, um, we get letters from these girls saying that they're into us, the, the recent converts. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get e-transfer. We're both going to get e-transfer. This area is going to get whitewashed. We might get sent home. So they sent us these like these nice letters. They're super sweet, but we're like, sorry, we're missionaries. And I still had a girlfriend and stuff. Um, but after that, Leo started calling Steph, Stephanie. We always call her Stephanie. He started calling her Steph. And he's like, hey, Steph. And she was kind of into him. I think she'd written him a letter or something. And um, <laughs> needless to say, now they're married. So they got married after the mission. And I think he lives in Glasgow. I looked him up. I think he works for Lego maybe in Glasgow. And they, I think they live in East Kilbride. So we'll have to have him on to tell the rest of the story. Cause I just know they met up after, but I was like, something's going to happen here and we should get e-transferred. But um, I don't think anything, not, well, nothing happened on the mission at all. Everything was, was good that way. But I think a kind of a crush formed and then married her after. I think she's just a couple of years younger than us. That's how the church grows, right? Especially in that part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, <laughs> It was a good time. Um, I, I think so in East Kilbride, I first got introduced to NEDS. Um, that stands, it's the most like educated name for like such a stupid thing, like, like such a sophisticated name for such a, you know, like here we'd call them punks or something like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And NEDS stood, stood for non-educated delinquents, I believe. Yep. And I was yep. like, that's such a weird, like, why would you give them such a proper name, but only in, only in the UK. Right. Um, <laughs> And so it's only in Scotland, actually. Only in Scotland, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In England, so that was, they're chavs. Oh, that's right. I think I did hear that. Chavs. That <laughs> even sounds like too proper. Like chav. Like chive is like a butler's name. Like chive the butler, and it's like oh the chavs, you know, and oh the Neds, then those non-educated delinquents out there. It's like so proper. Um, but we didn't have any crazy experiences with them they just had the they had like the steps in their head and the weird haircuts and then the the track outfits with the one leg pulled up right oh Um, my gosh so them and the track outfits i was like those kids would get beat up if they were in america but they're like the gangsters here which is so funny because they would just get worked if they were no offense ned's the way that you just described that was like the picture of a ned in like a dictionary (laughs) (laughs) burberry hat yeah Berber hat, Burberry scarf. It just blew my mind that There's, they were like supposed to be the scary ones. You know, the, their trainers on, always ready for a football match. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's it's so like, funny. Please come to America. Please come to Salt Lake 
and deal with the Tongan Crip gang in, in West Salt Lake or come to LA and deal with the Crips and the Bloods in South Central Los Angeles. And, oh, you guys will get destroyed. But I just thought it was funny because I thought they were so cool. And I was like, yeah, stay away from them because they'll, they'll cut you with a knife. But they, you know, they, I thought it was really funny that they were like the tough, tough people. Um, anywho, um, so then um, East Kilbride, I got to mention Jackie Lang. So uh, she was a member. She had two kids. And when, when we met her, she had just gone through a really tough divorce. Um, and her husband, her ex-husband was no longer in the church after the divorce. And she was going through a really tough time. But she just had the best attitude ever. She was like so optimistic and just like got through it and was still like, I, I love my husband, even though things didn't work out. Like I still love him. Um, and I, I wish for the best for him. And just like a heart of gold when most people would turn really bitter and upset. Um, she was just incredible and such a good example to her kids. So one time we're over there and she's, she is asking about my, my girlfriend, cause her name was Jackie as well. And she's like, tell me about this Jackie. And I was, I'll tell her about Jackie and stuff. And she goes, give me her number. And I'm like, I'm not going to give you her phone number. Like you can't call her right now that I can't talk to her. That's against the rules. You know, we're trying to be obedient. And she goes, I'm not going to call her now. You idiot. Like I know the rules. Like you're, you moron. Like I love the Scottish people. They're so funny. She's like, you're an idiot. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to call her. Um, just give me your number and I'll call her later. And then I'll tell you how it went. And I was like, okay. So I gave her her number and she writes it down and then immediately types it in and puts it on speaker. And I'm like, no, like, and I like run out of the room and I'm like, I'm all embarrassed. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't leave. Cause my companion wasn't leaving. Um, <laughs> I can't talk to her cause I'm going to get in trouble. And luckily my, <laughs> my girlfriend didn't answer Jackie to answer. And she just gets on the phone and she's like, all right, Jackie, this is Jackie from Scotland. And I'm here with your man. And then just hung up. So I get I get an email that's, like that's classic Scottish, man. Yeah. For sure. It's incredible. Oh, it's so funny. So I get an, an email from my girlfriend after that, and she's like, um, did somebody named Jackie call me? Or is that like one of your friends messing with me that's still in Utah? I was like, no, no, that was Jackie Lane from Scot Scotland. Uh I'm glad you had a chance to meet her. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. This is so funny. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I need to speed up because I don't know. You guys. Oh, you're fine. This is going to be a long one, I think. Okay. So I'm going to accelerate. Um, so after I'm with, so I'm only with um, Elder Humphreys for six weeks as well. The first year of my mission, I'm with a different companion every six weeks, basically. I don't know if they're telling the president they're just going to stand me. You'll have to ask them if you have them on. Like what? I even asked the president, like, are they saying something? Because like I'm moving every time. Like, like some there's either a new <laughs> companion coming in or I'm leaving. Um, but a different companion the whole six weeks. I only served with two missionaries um, for three months, and the rest were less than that. Sometimes it was a little more than six weeks if there was like transfers mid midway through a transfer or something. But um, yeah, it was pretty. So I had a lot of companions. So I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll speed up. Okay. So then I moved to, I'm out three months. I moved to Alloa, um, just outside of Sterling um, in the Edinburgh stake. Um, and I've been out three months and I served with Landon Wells, who's been out one and a half months. So I was just in a companionship where I was out six weeks. My companion was out four and a half months. And then I go to one that I'm out three months and he's out six weeks. And I'm like, this is going to be just more stupidity. Uh, and it was because when you're young and you don't know what you're doing, a lot of crazy stuff happens. Um, and so he, Landon Wells, uh, so I served with, he was, he's from Alpine, Utah. Um, and we had a great time. Um, one example of something stupid is we were trying to get joint teaches, but when we got there, the, um, 
the bishop didn't like missionary work. A lot of the bishops didn't like the missionary work we were doing, so how quickly we were doing it and baptizing people quickly and just kind of like go, go, go and member missionary work. They, they didn't like it so much. And then our, our ward mission leader was less active as well. And so that was kind of like a tough start. Um, and I remember thinking, this is so weird because I'm supposed to be out in the meadow just frolicking with sheep and knocking on doors all day and like not even talking to the bishop. But then like we go to this, go to Scotland and like a lot of the bishops are fighting against us, like actively fighting against what we're doing. Uh, ward mission leaders are, you know, not active and we're fighting against what we're doing too. And it's like, I thought that we were all like going to be on the same team and being trying to defeat Satan together, you know, and like, <laughs> like be baptizing people together. But um it wasn't quite that way. But then at the same time, we had members that were just amazing and did so much member missionary work more than I had ever done. Um, so we kind of had both ends of the spectrum. There wasn't many people like in the middle. It was either like they were against us or like really, really with us. Um, hmm. And so Aloha, we had some great people that were really, really with us. Um, but we couldn't always get joint teaches and get a member to come with us. So one time <laughs> there was this little nine-year-old named Jack. And he's like, I want to come out with you guys. And we're like, I don't know if that's allowed, but yeah, we're going to this lady's house. She was from Florida um, and we wanted a teacher and she was having us over for a dinner appointment. And we're like, is your mom okay with it? And their mom's like, yeah, yeah, take Jack. So we took this little nine-year-old on a joint teach with us <laughs> to this lady's house who made us a Southern fried chicken. Um, and, nice. and, uh, and Jack, like he was like the best joint teacher we've ever had. I think we were sitting there just chatting and we were sharing a lesson and eating um, and talking about the gospel. And he just stops and just like bears his testimony of the gospel. And it was like the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And this lady was just blown away. And she was just like, thank you so much for sharing that, Jack. That is, you have such a great spirit. That's one of the most incredible things I've ever heard anybody say, let alone like a little nine-year-old, you know, and he was just this little powerhouse. Um <laughs> We learned after that how against the rules it is to take a nine-year-old with you in your car. So we didn't do that again. Um, but I wish we could have because Jack was awesome. Um, <laughs> it was really cool. Wow. Um, and then we taught, we taught a family um, named the Jamesons. Um, uh, Matt Fissler had served with Land and Wells just before I got there. And they'd found a lady named Claire. And they were like, Fissler's like, this, girl, this woman's going to get baptized. You got to baptize her, Landon. And he's like, okay. So I get there and he's like, we got to baptize this lady. Um, and so we taught her and at the same time she was being taught by, I think seventh day Adventist or, well, it wasn't seventh day Adventist. It was, um, some other, it might've been a non-denominational Christian church, but it was really close to her house. She lived up until a which was a ways away from the Aloe ward. So it was really easy for her to go there. And her son was kind of integrated there. But as we taught her, she, she gained a testimony and was like, all she, you know, she, she, she was like, I'll, I didn't, she didn't have a car, but she's like, I got, I'll take the bus down there each Sunday or get rides. So she came to church and she eventually got baptized and her, her son, Dean got baptized as well. I think he was eight. Um, and then she had a little daughter, Katie. Um, and they, they were awesome. They were, they were such a cool family. And we, we actually, my wife, when I, when my son was a year and a half old, uh, so it was back in 2015, uh, my wife and my son and I went back to Scotland and, and went all over. We, we did a trip to to London and then all over Scotland and then to Paris. And when we went to Scotland, we rented a car and we went up and started in Inverness because I never served up in the Highlands. Um, and we, we went and did like Loch Ness and all that stuff, which was awesome. And then kind of went east across the country to Aberdeen and then 
down to Dundee and Alawa and, and visited them um, in Sterling and then went down to Edinburgh and then went west and visited Irvine and, uh, and uh, um, Air. So I'll get into those those spots, but but anyways, they were a really cool family to go back and visit, and they're they're mm-hmm. living in the same place, and just seeing their her kids grow up, and she's just awesome. So it's awesome. That was really fun. Um, something else fun in that area was we went and saw the William Wallace Monument. I don't know if you guys did you guys ever have a chance to see that when you're over there. Yeah, not on, the on my not, not on my mission, but uh, after the fact, yes. After nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the P days there were incredible. Like, there's like if you were in a cool area that had lots of stuff, the P days you do so many cool things. Um, so we went to the that on a P day, and it was so cool seeing like the sword they think is William Wallace's because of how big it is and how tall he was supposed to be. And then they did all this DNA testing on the sword and saw that there's so many different people's blood was on it that he must have been his because he killed so many people. It was epic. Um, <laughs> well, that was really cool. And then they had they had. Um, they had like a monument of William Wallace on the outside, but it was, uh, oh, who was that? Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah. It looked like Mel Gibson. Yeah, so they right. had to, they had to cover it with like a cage because people kept like breaking the nose off of Mel Gibson. Everyone was mad that their national hero looked like a, an Aussie, you know? Um, and so they were all upset about that. And they're like, Mel Gibson's not our hero. Make it look like somebody else. So they would attack it. And so they had to like block it off, which was really fun. Jeez. So anyway, so like midway through that transfer, I think with about two weeks left of that transfer, there was an emergency transfer and Alex O'Donohue came and served in a trio with, with me and Elder Wells. Um, Alex O'Donohue was from Milford Haven, Wales, um, and he was hilarious. He was just a silly Welshman and would just say the funniest stuff and was so awesome, super tall and skinny, and uh, we, had, we had a good time, the three of us, when we were there. Um and then after, at the end of that, um, Elder Wells, at the end of those, when the two weeks were up, Elder Wells moved on, and then it was just me and Elder O'Donohue. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we were teaching a family called the Sadowskis, um, and the, the husband was a member, but his wife and kids weren't. So we were teaching them and trying to reactivate the husband and get the wife and son, son to come, wife and kids. They had a son and a daughter. Um, but we were teaching Donna, and Jonathan was like nine, I think, and then they had a daughter that was a little younger. So we're teaching them, and uh, we go over there for Guy Fox night, the fifth. Remember, remember the fifth of November, and I was like, "Oh, cool fireworks! Like it'll be like the fourth of July. This will be great." But it was nothing like the fourth of July. It was insane. They just let anybody buy whatever they want, which was so awesome because it's like the big ones with like the you know the big fireworks where you have to get a holder for it, and they go way way up in the air. And these people are doing it in their backyards, like with houses right next door and stuff, and they have no idea what they're doing. They're like. I would have I would have loved this as a kid to have this because I love fireworks and was kind of a pyro. But I saw the calamity that came from Guy Fox night. And so the Sadowskis have us over and they're putting this thing up and it's like windy and stuff. And they're like, oh, it'll be fine. And they light it and it tips over and like is aiming right at us. And we're diving behind like brick walls as shrapnel is just exploding <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, it's fine. Just lights another one. And like Brother Sadowski is just nailing us with like the huge, like like massive fireworks that could kill somebody and i'm mm, we're diving geez. all over i felt like i was in like world war ii or something it was like a war scene it was like out <laughs> of control and the neighbors are doing the same thing and so stuff's blowing up all over the place i'm like this was the craziest night ever but it was super fun we're driving home and we look over to the right and there's a house just completely engulfed in fire just burning to the ground and just just sirens everywhere as we're driving home there's there's, there's firefighters all over the place and i'm like what is happening? And then 
And then the fact that they just take little wicker men like Guy Fox and light it on fire. And they're like, their, their thing is like, let's light this man on fire and remember how we burned him because he tried to blow up parliament. It's like the most sadistic thing I've ever seen. Um, and I love it. Guy Fox <laughs> night is the best holiday I've ever had. And I've told myself I'll always celebrate it. And I always forget. Um, so this year I got a month to prepare. I got to make a little wicker basket and tell my little wicker man and tell my kids we're going to celebrate this man getting burned at the stake. Cause we're total sickos. Yeah. Is so, it the, is it the uh, fifth or the first? I think it's the fifth, isn't it? At least I'm going to look it up. And V for Vendetta. Thing. They say, isn't it? Remember, remember the fifth of November. Yeah, and the English celebrate because they stopped him before is, he blew up Parliament. It is the fifth. You're right. The Scottish yeah. celebrate because he almost blew up Parliament. That's right. Yeah, they're like excited about it. Yeah. So the, I yeah. I like that more. I don't like the wicker basket guy. I don't like burning him, but the fireworks are great. Um, and those Guy masks. Fox, Guy Fox night is a Saturday this year, so you got all the excuses. Okay. All right, I'm doing <laughs> it. You guys can come over. <laughs> you got it. Fireworks. We'll be there. <laughs> we have to go to a non-drought area. Um, yeah. Or so Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go up to Oregon and do this. That'll be great. Um, but yeah, what a cool holiday. And then kind of a quick funny story about Donna. So we were at the at our ward um, teaching her and we're having a meeting and Coford um, came to the meeting with her, was trying to help us get her baptized. And then he was serving with elder Lynch. So they're both there. And so we're like, he had this scripture he'd always share with people about um, how I think it was, was it Philip that was traveling with a, a centurion or something in the new Testament? I think it's in Romans or acts and they're talking and, and they see a body of water and he's like, He's like, here's a body of water. What's going to stop you from getting baptized? Or the guy says, can I get baptized? And he goes, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he goes, yep. And he goes, let's get baptized. Baptizes him right then. That's basically a great summary of the way we did missionary work in Scotland when I was there. It was like, we did it like New Testament style. Um, just so quick. So so he shares that message with her. And he's like, what's stopping you from getting baptized right now? And she's like, okay. So she feels the spirit. She's like, let's get in. But she was terrified of water. She was like, I couldn't believe how many people were afraid of water in Scotland. She like wouldn't put her head under the water. Um, and so they fill up, we fill up the font right then, but the water heater was always out. Was your guys' water heater always out in every font you filled up? Fortunately not. That is nice. Okay. That is nice. Cause the water heater was out. And so we're like boiling water with pots and pans and dumping it in as we're filling it up, but it's ice cold. So I get in the font with her. And the water's not very high either because we wanted her to quickly do it before she got scared of the water. But she was ready. She'd given up smoking, had gone through the non-smoking program with us, had, had a testimony, was great. But she's just terrified of water. So we get in. The bishop shows up just furious, right, that we're doing this, but like spur of the moment, uh, kind of understandably. But we're like, come on, like baptizing, let's do this. You know, like, like come on, New Testament, come on. And so, and so, we, so I'm in the water with her, and she's like, do not raise your hand. I'm not ready. I'm too scared. And it's ice cold. We are freezing. And we're just sitting there. And I think we stood there for like 30 or 45 minutes just what? in the water, just waiting for her to get up the, the nerve to do it. And she never did. She never did. She got, she was too scared. And Colford's like, just do it. Just, just dunk her. And I'm like, I can't like force her into the water. Like, that's wrong. It's not a good spiritual baptism. Um, and so, uh, yes, eventually after like 30, 45 minutes, she gets out and I go home and I just sit in a hot shower for like an hour. Cause I am just frozen. <laughs> I am so cold. And she was too. It was so sad. Um, so if only the water was hot, maybe it would have happened. Um, 
then unfortunately after that, uh, she eventually, like, I think that's why it's so important to get baptized. Like when you, when you feel the spirit and when you're ready, because after that, she eventually went back to smoking and then eventually was like, don't come over anymore. And she didn't end up getting baptized or her son who was really close to getting baptized too. Um, then a good thing is her, uh, the, Jonathan, the son, his cousin. So I guess Donna's nephew, he got really interested in it after that. And he ended up getting baptized, which was, I guess, a good thing that that came out of all that. And, and Guy Fox night was good too, but hopefully the Sadowskis are are back in the church now. That'd be great. They were, they were a cool family. <laughs> cool. Um, Cool. And then also, if you go back to Scotland, Alawa has the best chippy ever. It's just in downtown Alawa. There's like one or two chippies there. You can go find one. But the best fish and chips I've ever had. So when we went back and visited, that's one place we went for sure. Um, so definitely check that out. What's um, it called? Come on. You got to know the name. I don't. I will I will Google Maps it. I'll find okay. it on Google Maps and tell you. Because I know right where the corner is. You go into Alawa. You pass the missionaries flat downtown. You take a left. And then it's there on your right. All right. You can send us a screenshot and we'll put it on the website. Isn't that amazing as missionaries? Like, you know exactly how to get somewhere to a member's house or a friend's house or restaurant, whatever. But you have no idea how to tell anybody else. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You want an address? Are you insane? I'm using a map. We didn't have Google Maps. We had these stupid brick phones that you could get limited talk and text. And if you went over, you get yelled at by uh, the office elders. yeah. So it was, That's yeah, true. It, was, it was a different time. These guys are on Facebook and all this stuff, which is awesome. Oh, I would have loved to have like Google maps on a mission. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we had, we had the Game books. Yeah. The books and you had to say, okay, this book it ends right here. And then you flip the page and look at the other side to make sure you're still going in the same street. It was unbelievable. All the while your companion shifting for you while he's reading the map. It was crazy. It was yep. a wild time. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, so, so Alawa was great. Um, I ended up serving with, uh, well, I think before Drew Allen came, at one point we had like, I think we had nine investigators that were progressing. And it, this was kind of a sad thing. I looked down at our teaching pool and realized that every single person in our teaching pool was getting uh, beat, beaten up by either their boyfriend or their like mom's boyfriend. So we were either teaching kids whose mom's boyfriends were beating them or they were getting beat by their, their husband. And that made me so mad. It made me so mad to see that. And like, it was wild. It was so sad to see some of the, some of the trials people went through, you know, cause I hadn't seen that really growing up or anything, you know? And so it was like having our entire teaching pool, having that happen. It was, it was really sad. So people went through some, some tough stuff over there for sure. Um, okay. So then um, Elder O'Donohue left. I stayed in, in Alawa for another transfer and, I trained Drew Allen. Yeah, he was from Pleasant View, Utah. And it was so fun uh, training. Training, I think, was the best part of the mission. When you trained a missionary, it was just incredible. Um, the energy they bring and just like the success you see from just random stuff and just like pure faith, you know, was just so cool to see. And Drew, Drew's awesome. Uh, I still see him from time to time and he's he's so fun to hang out with. He's, he's hilarious. Um, so whenever I train somebody, I always put them in the most awkward situation I could. So we are teaching uh, uh, a, a mom and a son. So the mom was like, she's like maybe like in her 60s and her son was like in her in his 20s. Maybe she was in her 50s. Um, but Sue Wood and Joe Wood. And um, so Sue had, um, she she was learning, but she she had a hard time overcoming smoking. So was having a hard time getting baptized. Um, but Joe was, was interested, but like kind of progressing slowly. And so the first lesson, I of course have Drew Allen teach Joe 
the law of chastity and get real deep in there. And I figured it was kind of funny to put them in this situation, but also I didn't think it was too mean because it was like beneficial. It's like, if you can teach this dude about the law of chastity, that's like 20 year old about this, you're not going to have any problem teaching anything the rest of your mission, you know? The first lesson, he teaches him that, boom, did great job. Then like a little bit later, Joe had just been learning for so long, or at least longer than we were used to. He'd been learning, I think most of the time I was in that area, so for a few months. So finally, I, I asked, I said, Drew, commit him to baptism as well, and just see if he can commit him to baptism. He's learned all the lessons. He knows everything. He believes it. Like, let's get him to commit to baptism. And, and Drew went in there as brand new missionary still just a few weeks out and was like, are you going to get back? Like just taught this great spiritual lesson. Um, and he, he took the bulk of it, taught, taught the bulk of it and then did the final commitment. And the spirit was so strong. And Joe just goes, no, I'm not getting baptized. And all Aaron's like, all right. And then he goes, just kidding. Yes, I will. And so he got baptized and it was, it was awesome. <laughs> I'm sure elder Allen died inside when he said, no. Yeah, he did. He even said, he's like, Oh my gosh, I was going to run out of this room right now. I was so sad. And Joe's like, no, no, I'm doing it. Um, they're awesome. We also taught, um, uh, Carlo Pezzani. He was awesome. He, he was, he was a non-member and he was married to Wendy Pezzani, who was a member. And then they had a son named Francis. Um, it was really cool. And Francis was a member too, but Carlo had been taught for a while and was what I guess you'd call an eternigator. So he'd been taught for a long time, but he was just the coolest guy. So nice. He, he had a problem with, uh, he was trying to overcome smoking as well and then kind of cement his testimony. Um, so we taught him and went over there a lot and they're a family. We, we went back and visited as well when we went back to Scotland and they were just so awesome. Just the people that were just so incredible. Um, and so he didn't get baptized while I was there, but then like, when I was in Edinburgh, like, I don't know what it was like six months later, or I think it was just before I came home, actually. Um, one of the missionaries who was in the MTC with me was in Aloha and he, uh, baptized Carlo and it was just awesome. And he did it on, he, he did it as a surprise for his wife on Valentine's day. So he's like, come down to the war. We have this Valentine's activity or something. And she's like, what are you talking about? She goes down there and he's dressed in all white and, and gets baptized uh, as a present to her, which was so cool. Wow. Yeah. That was awesome. So then after that, once again, I was with him just for, for six weeks with Drew Allen and I moved to uh, Edinburgh um, and we opened, I think we opened a new area. Yeah, we didn't whitewash. So we opened a new area called Leith um, in Edinburgh near downtown. Um, and I served with Chris Lee from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and and it, it, we had a great time Edinburgh is a cool place, as you guys all know. Much cooler, not as a missionary, by the way. I, you ever notice, like, you go talk to people on the street. We were out in Edinburgh one night, and we we're talking to people on the street, and and uh, everyone's like, no, no, no. And at one point, we got lost, and we're just looking for directions. And this guy's like, no, get away from me. Get away. I don't care about you missionaries, you know. We're like, no, no, no. We're just wondering how to get to this address. And he just completely changes. Like, oh, you're just looking for an address. Oh, let me help you. I'd love to help you. And comes over and he's like, yeah, walk down the street, turn right. And I was like, oh, man, the Scottish people are so much nicer when you don't talk about Jesus. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, that's, uh, that's accurate. Yeah. And that's probably most people, actually. But um, <laughs> but they were super warm and welcoming and nice when, when you weren't sharing the gospel. And we did a lot of member missionary work, but we'd always talk to people on the streets and between appointments and stuff. And if we, if an appointment didn't show up that we went and knocked on the door, we'd always knock on the neighbors. So that was mainly the extent of our chapping and, and talking to people. But, um, but yeah, it was a good time. Um, 
so let me jump ahead a little bit. I have a couple of things, stories written down, but I have way too many for what time does this thing end? Is it, is it like an hour and a half? Is that what you guys are shooting for? We we have a limit of midnight. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> if I fall All asleep, right. you just keep going. It's recording. <laughs> I, you keep doing your thing, man. We're doing a triple edition uh, <laughs> this episode. Break it up in three parts. Um, okay, so we taught some great people in um, – in in edinburgh and we noticed that whenever we are trying to do member missionary work even if it wasn't working out very well we are always blessed with people to teach like i said like we we went to a member's house they weren't there and we left and we saw a woman walking with her um three kids and just stopped her and just said hey would you like us to can we share a lesson with you and she's like yeah we'd love love for you to come by sometime and we went over and taught her her name was beverly hartley and she was also getting abused by her um, I think it was her ex-husband or her boyfriend. I think it was her ex-husband had they broken up and then he moved back in and was beating her and the kids and stuff. And it was just so sad to see that. Um, but she, she gained a strong testimony, kicked him out, uh, like did really well. And then, and then got baptized, which was really cool. Um, and then there's a member there named Brian Ford, who was awesome. He, um, he was a recent convert. I think he'd been baptized just a little bit before I got there. Um, and he was blind. And he was the coolest guy. He would come out and teach with us and he'd bring his big, huge Braille books and he'd carrying them, carrying them around on a roller. And we didn't have a car, I don't think, in that area. So we'd go like get him at his house, take a bus to his house, get him, get on a bus and go to our appointments. And he'd bring, he always wanted his scriptures with him so he could follow along and read with us, which was so cool. Um, and he was just incredible. He came out with us like all day long, all the time and would come out. And even if we didn't have appointments, he just wanted to come with us and share the gospel and such a strong spirit and just absolutely incredible member and, and so much faith. And he lived alone and, and figured out he was, he was, I think in his early twenties and had, was really successful at everything he did, even, even with the limitations he had without being able to see, but just really awesome. Hmm. Um, okay. So, so driving, so I got better at driving. Right. And then when I was in Edinburgh, for some reason, they had me drive the big mission van all the time. I think maybe the office elders didn't have their driver's licenses or something. And we're over the year. Usually they'd go like pick up missionaries from, you know, the train station and stuff like the new missionaries when they got in and stuff. But I just did that for some reason. I was always driving that mission van and driving that thing on these, what should be one way streets. It was like, I don't know if you guys like Harry Potter, but I felt like I was in the night bus on Harry Potter <laughs> where like you drive and you're like, I just accepted that. Like <laughs> both of the side mirrors were going to get knocked off. It's like, all right, there we're going to, we're going to crash and we're going to side start this car. And that's, that's fine. I guess there's no other way to go. And somehow it was just like magic fairy dust was like on the car and would just like squeeze the car, squeeze the van in and you'd somehow fit. Cause it never seemed like you could fit and you always never got in an accident, you know, and never hit anything, which was unbelievable. So I drove that around a lot. And one time we drive to um, a zone conference in Glasgow. So I take a bunch of missionaries from the district and we go over to Glasgow and have the zone conference. <laughs> we're driving home. And as we're driving back on the freeway, I see these like 11, 12 year old girls in this van next to us. And they're like, their mom's like honking the horn. And I look over and they have this sign that says honk, like in all caps, you know, and they're like trying to get people to honk on the freeway. Right. So I was like, Oh yeah, let's join in the fun. So I just go crazy on my horn and just start honking as it says honk. And the missionaries turn to me. I'm on the right side of the car, right? So I'm looking left. So I can't see the sign too well. And I just kind of glance, just start honking like crazy. Elder Ehat is, an, is one of the office elders. He's sitting in shotgun and he looks at me and just looks shocked. He's like, what is wrong with you? And I go, what, what are you talking about? 
And I look at the sign again, and in small writing underneath the big honk says, it says, honk if you're horny. And I, I, was, like, I was like, no, no. And we all have our mission badges. We're all in our mission stuff. We just came out of this like, huge spiritual zone conference. I think a 70 had come to that one. And we're like, Dude, we're feeling pumped. And, and I'm just honking like an idiot. And so, and sorry, I don't know if you, can, if you have to beep out that word. I know this is a family program. If they beep that, I didn't swear anybody. I just said a, a word. You'll have to guess what it is. Just say, just say something British, like honk if you're knackered or something. Randy. <laughs> Randy. There you go. Honk, Randy, that's the one. Honk if you're Randy. <laughs> but I don't think it said Randy. Actually, it might have. I might have just translated that to American yeah, on my own. Did. Yeah, you probably did. did. Anyways, so, so <laughs> one of the sister missionaries in the back was like, what does the science say? And I'm like, nobody tell her. Don't tell her what it says. And she's like, what did it say? I didn't see it. And Elder Ehat next to me since he's like his badge is right here and they're right here right and he doesn't want to see the badge he just like slouches down in his chair so <laughs> embarrassed and he's just like the nicest sweetest guy slouches down and just <laughs> takes off his badge and just put it puts it down next to him and just looks at me just disgusted and i'm like i am so sorry i was like i didn't see it and none of nobody believed me they're like oh i'm sure elder bacham yeah you you dirty guy and i was like they're like 12 years old i didn't think they'd have a sign like that that would be more like I don't know. And their mom honking the horn, like involved in the shenanigans. Wow. I don't know. There's five-year-olds sucking on cigarette butts and <laughs> drinking wine. I mean, 12's about right. Yeah, that actually, I probably should have done the math <laughs> and realized they grew up faster over there. Um, mm, okay. Geez. So then so then, um, Elder Lee moves, um, I think he moved up to like Inverness and was like pretty depressed. He's like, I'm going from Edinburgh up to Inverness. And that covered like all the west of like north, all the highlands basically, like northwest Scotland. That was a massive area. So he was pretty sad to be leaving, but then he ended up loving it up there and had a great time, I think. So so then I trained again. I trained Kellum Whetstone. He was from late in Utah. Um, and his his like thing, like my little prank on him, it actually turned out to be a prank on me. I didn't mean to like, like you know, I wanted to teach people and have like an awkward situation where I teach you something. But this kind of backfired, I think, from what I did to Elder Allen, teaching the law of chastity, because we were on a bus. Um, it was like eight o'clock. And I think we were going to go stop by some some less active or something uh, members that, that I guess we don't say less active anymore. Some members that hadn't been coming to church for a while, but didn't have any appointments. And it was like 730 or eight at night. We're on this bus and this guy's on the bus and we start talking to him and asking him if he wants to learn about the gospel. He says, yeah. And he goes, why don't you just come with me to my house right now? This bus will drop me off at my house. You guys can just come over now and teach me. And I'd never had that happen before. I'd never had someone invite me in for a lesson right then, right? Especially on a bus ride. And we're like, great. So we go to his house. <laughs> we go to his apartment. And um, and he just starts drinking, just starts drinking hard liquor. And we're like, huh. And like my companion's been out for like a week or two. Um, and I'm like, all right. Um, and he's like, you guys don't mind him? I'm like, well, you know, and he's like, ah, and so he keeps drinking. And then he starts smoking a bunch so that, so it starts smelling really bad, like heavy liquor, cigarette smoke. And as he is drinking, he gets like more and more flamboyant. And then he ends up telling us that he's, that he's gay. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Like, we'd love to share the gospel with you still, you know? Um, but then he like starts kind of like hitting on me, right? Like as we're teaching and <laughs> I'm like, like, uh, we should leave, but like, he seems interested. And like, he kept saying the right things. Like, I'd love to come to, you know? So we're like, we're like, we, we teach him a little lesson. And I was like, will you come to church with us? And he's laying on the, he's like sitting on the ground, like, like kind of like in like a model position, you know, kind of like a modeling position. And we're sitting in chairs 
And my companion just like smiling at me so big. He's so happy because he's like, he he's like, this is great. I love this is happening to Chad right now. And so so I go, um, will you come to church with us on Sunday? And he goes, Will you be there? And I go, Yeah, I'll be there. And he's like, Then yes. And it sounded just like I don't know if you guys have seen Elf the movie when when, he, when they're like, You you like sugar, right? And he's like, Is sugar and syrup? And she's like, Yeah. And he's like, Then yes. It was just like that. He's like, Then yes. My companion is just trying so hard not to laugh. It was so funny. And then he runs into the other room and gets me. He's like, do you have a tartan tie? And I was like, no, I don't. I have like that mission one, but that's, I don't really have. He's like, I have a red tartan tie. You'll love it. He goes and grabs this tartan tie, gives it to me. It just reeks of smoke so bad. Um, and I go, I, I took it. And so we, we left uh, after things were weird. We said a prayer and both me and my companion kept our eyes open the whole prayer. And he was just sitting there just staring at me with this huge smile the whole time. So we leave. He ended up not continuing on after that, surprisingly. But he, <laughs> I have the, I went home and washed the tie a couple of times. And I thought if this tie makes it through the laundry, I'm keeping it. And it made it through the laundry. And I still have it to this day. I wear it to church all the time. My red tartan <laughs> tie from Scotland. I think it's a McDonald tartan. And it was amazing. So I'm sure every time you put it on, you're just, you go right back to that, oh. that sitting room and you're like, oh my word. It brings a smile to my face every time and my wife's <laughs> face. I told my wife, I said, so what story should I tell from Scotland? And she goes, tell that story. That was like the first story she thought. Like, tell the story of how you got that tie. And I was like, oh, oh that's on the list. That for sure is on the list. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah. So we we get home one night, me and Elder Whetstone. And we had we thought it would be cool when we left our apartment. We were on like the third floor. And then like the stairs like spiraled down so you could see all the way down to like the first floor from the third floor. And we thought it'd be fun to drop our keys down and see how loud of a noise it made one morning. So we dropped it down and the keys there are like so old school, right? They're like the ones that are like this, which is like two little prongs, right? So yeah, like, those, I don't skeleton keys. Yeah. How, you know, the skeleton keys. How do they not Gosh. get broken into all the time? Those houses. Cause it's like <laughs> not hard to mimic that. So we broke the key and we're like, Oh, well the other one will probably still turn it. Like one of the little skeleton prongs broke. So I was like, It'll probably still turn. So we go out, we teach, we get home like at nine or nine thirty, I think, and because it was like time to get in. And we go to turn the key and it won't open. And we're like, but it's almost nine thirty and we can't break the rules. What are we gonna be outside of outside of the apartment at nine thirty? What are we gonna do? And I was like, I guess we have to kick down the door. And he's like, and I was like kind of half joking. And so I'm like, let me give it a shot. So I run up and like give it like this like kind of weak kick. And I was like, ah, uh, I guess it won't go. And I turn back and the whetstone is just running full speed like a bullet train. And and I jump out of his way last second. He jumps up, like holds on to the to the bar on the side and just kicks with two feet. And just the door just smashes, comes crashing down. There's like all this dust that just billows up into the air. And he's like crouched down. And then slowly he just like, he's like this. He's like this. And slowly he just rises out of the dust and just turns around. It's just this epic look, like I am the coolest person ever. And he was. It was amazing. So he kicked he down the have, door. He should have come up and said, I'm Batman. Yes, it was a Batman movie. <laughs> a two-foot kick. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And just oh, arms on the banister. And I was like, I was like, dude, I was like half joking. Like I just gave it a like I didn't know you were like to kick it down. So he but we got in and we were in by 9 30 because we were obedient. And so we got inside and then for like a week, we would, we, we would, there was like a little, like little bottom of the couch, the little like sleeve at the bottom or the fabric at the bottom of the couch. We would, we would 
we would pull the couch against the door. We like prop the door back up, like put the couch against it and then reach under the door and pull the fabric of the couch to pull it really tight against the bottom of the, the door to keep the door closed. And we did that for like a week or two. We eventually got the key fixed, had to call like the, the office couple missionary and, and get the door fixed. Uh, oh man, we were so stupid. It was awesome. Um, you dealt with that with the, for a few weeks. I mean, we talked about this on other episodes. The stuff that missionaries put up with just to like not deal with moving or I don't know how some missionaries did it because that was not me. Yeah. Please call the landlord. No, no. We'll figure it out for two weeks. And we've devised our our own lock and and key mechanism with the the couch. That's too good. It worked great. We had no landlord phone number. We didn't. We had this brick phone with like three contacts on it. You know, we didn't know how to get a hold of those people. <laughs> and all we thought was like, we can't take it to a locksmith right now because they're closed. We we never even thought. Let's call this the the couple missionary and the and the <laughs> the couple missionaries that that ran the uh, office. You know, we could have just called them. <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad we have till midnight because we're we're almost halfway. So um, <laughs> so we we. Uh, that was a fun transfer. I think we went to Edinburgh Castle that transfer on a P day, which was a lot of fun. Such a cool place to go. Um, so talking about kicking down doors, though, we went on a joint teach. We had a lot of um, there was a lot of Americans that were in the Edinburgh ward. A lot of young single adults that were either there for like an internship or for school, and then some would stay. And so we went out teaching uh, with this woman. I think she was like in her early twenties, and she had moved over there and then had stayed and was had been there for a couple of years. So she comes out teaching with us. We go up to like. I think we were going to teach Beverly Hartley, that recent convert. And we're up in this, it wasn't the nicest neighborhood. And we, we looked down to the next uh, block of flats and this guy goes running in, pulls out this giant machete and just kicks the door to the flat building and just runs in with a knife. And she just looks over and she goes, can we, can we please leave? And every time we take like these, these Americans up to the area, they're all like, I've never seen this side of Edinburgh. And I was like, yes, this is where we teach people. These are the only people that listen. Cause everybody that was really wealthy, they're like, you know, you know, it's like the, it's like the poor and humble are, are the ones that inherit the earth. Right. And the meek inherit the earth. They're the ones that would listen. And we'd obviously try to teach the, the more affluent as well, but they usually weren't as, they wouldn't listen as much. So every time we would go up there, they're like, where are you taking me? And they're like, it's basically like the South central Los Angeles of Edinburgh that we spent most of our time. Um, I drove my wife and son up in that area for just very quickly. And they're like, my wife's like, get out of here. And I was like, yep. And so we drove away. Um, but great. Some great people lived up there and it was awesome. So, um, okay. I'm going to jump on to after that, I left Edinburgh and went to Cumbernauld and served with Devin Goodwin. Uh, he was from Lehigh, Utah. Cumbernauld is just outside of Glasgow. So these, these are the two closest times I got to Glasgow was at a, or East Kilbride in, in Cumbernauld. Um, but he was, Devin Goodwin was, he was awesome, Elder Goodwin. He was so good with people. Like everybody loved him. All the members loved him. All the investigators loved him, the recent converts. Like everybody would go and teach. He was just so good at interacting with people. He was such a good person. And it was so funny because I was wearing my mission tie on Sunday at church because, you know, it was, I do, I do a little, I kind of mix, I still don't have very many ties on our mission. We were only allowed to wear eight different ties and I still kind of only have about eight different ties that I rotate with. And so it was really, it was the week to wear the Scotland Edinburgh mission tie. Um, and so I had that on the SEM tie and which was great. Cause then I'm coming on your guys' podcast. And then 
Devin Goodwin just walks up and he's like, I know this guy. And I was like, Devin, what are you doing? And he, I guess he's going to move into our ward in a little bit. Um, oh, he was wow. coming to check out the ward. So he's got two kids. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. So I was like, I told him about your guys' podcast. You guys will have to have him on. Sweet. Um, but yeah, it was so, so funny bumping into him. Um, and when I was with him, I did my driving test um, in Glasgow. <laughs> I think I was with him and uh, Elder Fissler was there to try to help me practice for my driving test. And I was like, I'm for sure going to fail this thing. Like we went and practiced before and I was like hitting curbs when I was backing around the corner and parallel parking and not checking my mirrors 70,000 times every you know minute like they make you do. It's so dangerous how much they make you check your mirror, by the way. You're never looking forward. Um, so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fail this. So I go and do the test and they're all waiting back for me, just laughing, thinking I'm for sure going to fail. I'm just, they're so happy because everyone wants you to fail their te- the test because so many people do. So I go on it. And for some reason I did, I did really well. I backed around the corner, right? I didn't hit the curb I didn't do anything, but for some reason I kept speeding. Like I'd see the speed limit was coming up, like increasing by like 10 or whatever. And so I'd start speeding up too early. So that was going the speed limit by the time I got there, but then I was speeding and then I wouldn't slow down fast enough either. So I'd start slowing down once I got to a lower speed. And so I sped like the whole test. And at the end of it, the guy's like, go back quick. And I like, go back quick to the place. And he's like, park. And I park. And he's like, oh, you passed by the skin of your teeth. And I was like, yes. And I jump out of the car and I'm cheering and nobody believes me. They think I'm faking it. The missionary's like, you were lying. Like Chrysler and Goodwin are like, you didn't pass. We know you're lying. He's like, I pass, I pass. Um, and so I was like, I did everything right, but I sped like the whole time. And it's probably from following Elder O'Brien in my first area. Like, just there you go. Back. Yeah. Um, but I passed the test the first time, which was awesome because of how bad the experience was the first time I drove. Um, <laughs> so I improved. Coford wouldn't believe you. Yeah, tell Coford. Yeah, he wasn't. I don't know if he was there when that happened. He, no, he might. He was. He actually saw that. He or he heard about it. That's too funny. So yeah, got to remind him of that. Um, I, I have to ask you before I forget. When was the eight tie rule instituted um i think it was um like right before i got there um that the mission got all intense um and uh the leadership got pretty intense (laughs) as you guys have heard um and so when i got there this part of hammer time yes this was okay all right that makes more sense this was i had only eight ties i had to ask was the eight ties enforced through hammer time Yep, that would have that would have done me in. <laughs> and no pink. You couldn't have pink in your tie. If you had pink or purple, <laughs> oh boy, you were in trouble. So you couldn't have pink or purple, and then the tie had to go right to your belt. It had to end at your belt. You couldn't have these short ties because in Scotland it was like short fat ties, um, and it was just, <laughs> just disgusting. These short fat ties. People, like, they go to like here. And it's like, what are you? That's what are you doing? And so. But like a little bit of overcompensation where it's like, hey, if it's like past your belly button, that's cool. But it was like, no, it had to be to your belt. So we check in district meetings, make sure everyone's tied was to their belt. Um, oh my gosh. This this yeah. rule should have been called the Ashley Divine rule. Because if you listen to his, <laughs> Ashley Divine was in my group from January 05 to 07. And at one point he had more than 150 ties, I think he said, in his Whoa. possession on his mission. And his pride of his ties was when he wore pink ties Ooh. and he, he ended up getting an entire uh, area that he served in t- uh, pink ties. Yeah. Elders warm the whole elders. The whole elders, elders wore pink ties. So I, I am almost going to guarantee that that is probably why that rule was instituted. And Jack, you remember 
some of I remember when I was a younger missionary, some of the older missionaries used to purposely wear like a sweater vest in the winter months. And then their ties were like not more than a couple of inches underneath. So they could have yeah. the fattest really knot. <laughs> That's too funny. Absolutely. My yes. rule was the tie had to cover the last button on the shirt. Oh, that's that's more reasonable. Because, yeah, when it had to go to the belt, a lot of times we go past the belt, and then it just was this huge, long tie. And, yeah, to the belt was pretty long. But, yeah, so luckily I didn't have very many Crazy. ties. I have one tie they wouldn't let me wear. I thought they were going like, to throw them out because it was like so intense. I thought they were going like, to throw stuff out when they looked at my bag when I first got to the mission, when they looked through it to make sure I didn't have anything apostate. I did have one tie that was like a little zip up tie with knee fights on it. And I was like, I'm going to wear this all the time. But even in the MTC, they're like, they would make fun of me for wearing that. Cause they're like, you can't wear ties with all this stuff on it according to mission rules. Um, and so they're like, they're like, you don't have to like, you can send that home, but just, just don't have it out with your clothes. Like don't wear it. I was like, that's fine. So eight ties was fine with me. I didn't have any pink ties or purple anyways. So that worked out well, but yeah, some people were really upset about that. They wanted that <laughs> pink and purple tie. Wow. Yeah. So thank, thank you for explaining that. I appreciate it. Yeah. But this was like the, the hammer time thing. It wasn't just like the mission. And I, I bought into that, by the way, I was like, all right, that, that talk from, from, from president Frederick and the quote from Harold B. Lee about do it your leader's way. And you'll be blessed like eight ties, like, like, okay, there's probably a better way. You probably have more or like more colors or whatever, but it's like, I'll do it my leader's way, whatever. It's not like, they're not like leading me astray. Right. And so I'll, I'll do that. And it was, it was fine. But yeah. Um, but, it, but it wasn't just like that. It was like we had like um, uh, Neil L. Anderson, uh, Elder Neil L. Anderson came. We had a few people come and talk to us. Um, so he was in the presidency of the 70s at the time. This was just before he became an apostle. And he came and spoke to us and he just shredded us. Like he was like hammer time times like 10. Like he just went off on the mission. And it, I guess it was what we needed to hear. But this wasn't just like a missionary thing or like a missionary leadership thing. It was like, Everybody was intense in that mission. Anybody came to visit us, the you know, like it was wild. So he was like, he was really funny. He was like, Oh, so you guys double baptisms last year. Cool. Do you know how many baptisms they had in Brazil? I just came from Brazil and they baptized thousands of people. Your baptism, I think that was a weekly goal of theirs. Like he just ripped us. And we were like, oh my gosh. Um, he just went off. But it was so it was crazy because when people would rip us, it was weird. They do it with the spirit. So you're like feeling the spirit and feeling good as you're just getting destroyed, which was interesting. Um, but he was, he was a powerful guy. He, he taught, he taught us how to, how to bear our testimonies. And I was sitting on the, on the front row for this and he, for the zone conference that he came to. Um, and he, he's like, this is how you bear your testimony. And then he stared me in my eye, you know, in my eyes. And he's like, and, and gave an example of bearing, bearing testimony and how we should do it on the street when we talk to people and bore like this amazing testimony. And I just remember sitting there just staring at him and being like, oh my gosh, this dude's powerful. So even though he like ripped us, he was like still like loving at times. And like, I, I guess we needed to hear that. Um, wow. But yeah, so that happened. And then when I was in Cumbernauld, Elder Holland came, which was awesome. Jeffrey R. Holland of the 12 came and we we all went to the Edinburgh ward and and had him talk to us. And it was it was amazing. So we were having people walk. We were waiting there to shake his hand. Um, and we were all waiting like in the cultural hall to shake his hand um, in like the gym. And people were coming in and out of the building and you couldn't hear anything. There was like no sound of like the door slamming or anything like that. But all of a sudden we're sitting there and the building shook. It was the weirdest thing. It was like a physical shake. And everyone's like, what the heck was that? 
And then we look over and Elder Holland had just entered the building. And it was like, it was like, it was wild. It was like, everybody knew like something weird just happened. And like, you could feel like his power and his authority walking into the building as one of the 12 apostles of Christ. Like it was like, it was audible. It was, and everyone's like, everyone's like, what was that? And it was like, I really believe it was like his aura entering the building um, or possibly his wife's because they both spoke and his wife, as powerful as Elder Holland is and how much I love him, his wife is like even more so like, like you can tell, like he married up for sure. She gave an incredible talk too, but he came in, he shook all of our hands. We had all practiced shaking hands for like an hour before he got there. Cause we wanted like eye contact and good shake. So he shakes our hands. We go on and we sit down and he goes, he goes, president Frederick. I just interviewed all of your missionaries as I shook their hand. And for the most part, you have a pretty good mission, but there's a handful of people you need to pull aside and talk to and help them straighten out and, and, and get back on the right track. And it was like, okay, he just interviewed us. And we knew that we'd heard that, but we didn't think he was going to say it. And like, actually it was, we didn't know how real it was, but yeah, you can see through his apostolic calling, he has that ability, I guess. So that was crazy. And then he, he did the same thing. Like he was, he was so intense when he spoke, but then also so loving, like we were laughing a bunch. We were like terrified, but he spoke with such power and authority. And at one point, um, he goes, he goes, if you go home from your missions and don't take this personally, Jack, cause you know, I think he was joking and I have a little scruff myself, but he goes, he goes, if you go home and you grow a beard, you elders, or you get earrings, or you get these weird bracelets everyone's wearing, I will leap on you and land on your face and wrestle you into a ditch in front of your mother. That's a direct quote. I had memorized that puppy. I believe it. And so I actually, I did shave like a week ago. I had a little bit bigger of a beard, but I was like, I got to be a little bit more clean. Shave. If he sees me, even if he sees this, he's going to, he's going to wrestle me. And it was no joke. I told my friends this when I got back from my mission and we went, we went to a farewell soon after I got home and Elder Holland talked at it. One of our friends, like dad's new Elder Holland. So he was at her farewell. So he spoke at it. And then I was like, let's go say hi to him. Let's all go talk to him after, you know, like. He was, he's amazing, you know, and one of my buddies was wearing a blue shirt and had a, a little bit of scruff. And he's like, I, I, I can't go talk to him. You told me he's going to kill me. Like he knows I'm, I, I'm wearing a blue shirt. He was like terrified from the story I told him, but oh, we man. went up and talked to him and my friend was so insecure and he said hi to all of us. And then he turned to my buddy with the blue shirt and the scruff and goes, I love you, Jake. And Jake's like, just felt so happy. And he's like, Oh my gosh, he said he loves me. He knew I was insecure and that I needed to hear that and that I'm still a good person. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but oh. then it was scary too because then when I, after I got home, um, a year after I got married and then we moved into Elder Holland's ward. We moved into a ward in the lower avenues and the first day we're there, we look in and he's in an elder or in high priest group and my wife's like, Elder Holland, Elder Holland's right there. And she's like, because I like loved, when he came to spoke to, and spoke to us, I told everybody about it and she's like, we were super excited. So we got to be in his ward for, for four years and, and see him there. It was, Holy cow. It was incredible. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And then another person that came to speak to us that I wanted to mention was, uh, I think he was in area 70 in Sweden. His name was elder Per Malm. And then, um, later on, he became a member of the first quorum of the 70 and spoke in a couple of conferences, but he was amazing. And an experience I had with him, we were in a, in a council meeting with him and, we, he was talking and I had this thought 
And so I wrote down this question and it was like about my family at home or something and, and how I could help them or something. So I write it down, um, my question. I was like, how could I do this or how could I do better? And I look up and he's just staring right at me. And he like paused and was just staring at me and answered my question that I'd written down exactly for me. It was incredible. He's like, this is how you help your family. It was like, it was like so blatant. It wasn't like one of those like, oh, like I'm taking some insight from what he's saying. He was like, I wrote down the question. He was way far away. No way he saw it. I look up and he goes, this is how you help your family. And then gave me an answer right there. Oh. And it was just unbelievable. Like the experience that I had on my mission, I know some people come home and, and life gets hard and, and people fall away from the church, you know, and, and, uh, and hopefully they find their way back. But like from those experiences that I had, it's hard to know, like, like I, I couldn't go through those and then be like, oh yeah, it's not true. You know, like, like, like it's not true. Like the spirit and those stories and, and just the feelings you have as you go through that stuff, it's like, it's like, there's no way it's not true. Like, like, and, and hopefully I can stay faithful always and stay strong in the church, but it's like, it's, I, I think uh, I had a Bishop that had the word, uh, remember. It was like, he had a, like a framed big word that said, remember. And he said, it's, it's a, besides atonement, it may be the most important word in the English dictionary because when our whole lives, we can't remember the pre-earth life, right? We don't remember that we agreed to come down here. We don't remember that we agreed to follow Christ and God and try to make it back, right? And then throughout our lives, we have these amazing experiences, um, especially, you know, if, if you're able to be born in the church and grow up in the church, serve a mission, like we've all had these amazing, incredible spiritual experiences, but then sometimes we still fall away from the church. And it's because we don't remember those feelings. Like if we remembered how we felt on a mission during those good times, and these spiritual experiences, there's no way we would fall away. But the problem is we all forget, right? We all forget over time. And so I just want to thank you guys for what you're doing here because, you know, you're helping us to remember these great experiences and keeping our, our faith strong and getting the faith back if we've lost it. So, yeah, that's really awesome. Thank you. So that sounded like an ending, but I am one year into my mission right now. <laughs> so I'll let you guys decide if you want me to keep going or if you've had enough. No, you, you do your thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you haven't broken the record yet, so you're good. I haven't. Okay, good. No. What's the record? I want to stay under it. Uh, I think we're, we're not going to tell you. No, we're not. <laughs> <gonna tell you. laughs> you know, I'm going to try to break it. Okay, okay. So moving right along. Um, oh, another cool thing is after we moved into that war with Elder Holland, um, there's a. It was in the lower avenues, like just like a few blocks north or east of the Salt Lake Temple, um, up on that hill uh, on Second Ave, and so. Um, some seventies were in that ward too. And, and when elder pair mom got called to the 70, he moved into our ward. So I was able to talk to him about like how amazing he was and hmm. incredible experience I had is when, when he came and taught us there, it was really cool. Um, and he, he, he loved my wife. He was so nice to her and always complimentary of her. It was, it was, he was a really nice guy. And he, I think he passed away from maybe cancer a few years ago. Um, but it was just too bad, but he was, he was awesome. Okay. So then I leave Cumbernauld and, uh, I go to Irvine on the West coast of Scotland and I serve with Roy Peckham. Uh, he's from long beach, California. Um, and he was, he was awesome. We, we had a great time together. Um, I could say that about all my companions, I guess, but, but the thing I remember most about that area was the youths. The youth in that ward were awesome. They were so funny. So, uh, the, the wild brothers, there was Jack wild, Ben wild. And then I think their half brother or stepbrother, Luke Garraway. Um, and those guys were hilarious. Um, Emmanuel Corbett. Um, and then, um, 
there's a bunch of other kids too, but they were so funny and they would always pull pranks on us and pull prank. But it was always like fun natured, like good natured pranks. And Peckham would get furious. He like didn't understand the jokes. Like he would get so mad and be like, why would they do this to us? Like, don't they know that we're missionaries? And like, we'd get all upset. And I was like, they are so funny. I mean, as you saw, my friends went sometimes went too far by throwing rocks at windows. But um, but we would do like pranks and stuff like, you know, good nature pranks. And I thought they were hilarious. And they they definitely outdid anything I did when I was a kid. Um, but we had a good time with them. And then the bishop was like so on board with missionary work, Billy Govins, and he was awesome. And then President Yates was the state president and he was in our ward and he was awesome too. His family was incredible. Uh, he had a son named Rob Yates, which was one of the fun youths, but he wasn't as um, much of a trickster as the other ones. He was really nice. Um, but he had come out, all those guys would come out on joint teachers with us. And we loved those, those kids. They were all like 16, 17 when we were there and playing soccer with them and stuff. We had a great time. So one time we, we taught this, this, these people up in Greenock, which is way North, but it, but it was part of our zone. So we went up and taught them. They'd walked into this Greenock ward. We went up and taught them. And one time when we drove up there, we saw this place called Largs and Peckham had somehow heard that there's just these big hills of largs, which I pictured my mission being. It was like old cobblestone walls, sheep, and just like these beautiful green hills. So Peckham's like, let's go there on a P day and go on a hike. So we went up there and hiked and we found this, it was like this beautiful stream that went up the side of the hill. And then way up in the, on the hilltop, there was like a plane crash. And there's these, these old parts of a plane that were like broken down and really old plane crash. And it was just a cool, really pretty area. And then kind of a random thing to see up there with the plane. And so we're like, let's, let's go out with like some, some members of the zone and we'll take, we'll take some of the youth with us and we'll go up there on a P day. So we go up there on a P day uh, a couple weeks later and with these other people to show them around and thought they think it was fun. We go up there and it is so foggy. You can't see like anything. You can see like 10 feet in front of your face. And we're like, all right, but we went up and it wasn't that bad at first. And then it got worse and worse. And we get up and we see the, to the plane and then we come walking back down and we're completely lost. We like can't find the river. We know like at the end of the river, we can go back to, we turn take a left at the end of the river and we make it back to the, where the cars are parked. But if we make a wrong turn, the Hills go on forever. We'd like looked on like a map or something and the Hills just went on forever and ever and ever for miles and miles. Jeez. And so we're walking back and everyone starts panicking and freaking out. And we're like, we have the stake president's son with us and we've lost the stake president's son. And we need to get him home by six for his dinner. And P day ends at five. We got to get home by then. And like, we're being apostate if we don't. And like, we're going to have to sleep out here. And then if we walk the wrong way, because we had no, we got completely discombobulated. We had no idea which direction was which as we were walking around. And we're like, if we walk the wrong way, we're walking for like, I don't know, like, like 50 miles or something. And so we all sit down. I'm like, what can we do? And then I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to spread out. And all you're going to see is the person to your left and right. But we can't get too much farther than that because if they go too far, then we're all lost. We're never going to see each other again. We're going to spread out because we have to find this river. And once we can make it to the end of that river, we'll know how to get back to the car. But we didn't know if we'd already walked past the river and had gone past it where we were going into an abyss forever. Um, and so we all spread out and we could only see the person on our left and right. And we were yelling the whole time so everyone could hear. And we were all communicating if we could see. And we walk and walk and walk for like 10 minutes or so. And then the person on the far right says, I found the river. And we all run over to the river, find the river, make it back to the car and get out of there alive. <laughs> oh <my> but, gosh. <laughs> it was so scary. 
Oh my gosh. Um, so we, when we're, when we're out there, um, there was one night where there was a seminary graduation. And so all the members were at the seminary graduation and it was almost like apostate to knock on doors, um, borderline or, or, you know, just going and doing that it was like, no, go to the members, exhaust all your effort with members or less actives or anything to do with the work that way. But, um, our leaders called us randomly and they said, um, what, why aren't you, you know, what are you guys doing tonight? And we said, we're trying to find members to, to go to, but no one's available. And they say, go invite five people to be baptized right now. And we said, okay. And once again, like that didn't really make sense. We didn't really knock on doors that much. And like, you know, just going inviting five random people to get baptized. What's that going to do? Once again, Harold Bailey's quote, do it your leader's way. You'll be blessed. So like whatever. So we go and knock on the first door and, uh, this, this woman answers the door and like her 16 year old daughter comes to the door and we're like, we're like trying to teach him this brief lesson and like, be like, Hey, can we come teach you guys sometime? And they're like, yeah. And then they'll peck him. And as we're walking away, he's like, do you guys want to get baptized? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Why don't you come over for the visit first? And then we'll talk about that, you know? And he's like, okay. And so we go, and then we go and ask a few more people. And then I think the last one, the fifth person was a, was a single guy. And we go and ask, ask him if he wants to get baptized too. We end up going back and teaching, uh, the mom and the daughter, her name was Janet Lamond, um, and her daughter was Sarah Lamond, six, I think she's about 16. And then the last guy we talked to was named Jamie Colon. We teach him too. And uh, I don't know if we'd had any baptisms in the area at that point. And all three of those people ended up getting baptized. Um, and it was <laughs> like, we never knocked on doors. We stopped at this neighborhood and just knocked. And um, teaching them was incredible, especially like Jamie progressed great and overcame a lot and got baptized. And then uh, Janet and Sarah was like, like such a blessing to teach them. Like, um, the Janet didn't get baptized for like a year. She got baptized later, but Sarah got baptized that why Peckham and I were together. Um, and every time we go teach them, we'd stop in front of their house and just like talk about how important what we were about to do was we're like, we're teaching this mom and this daughter. They're like incredible people, super nice. And like, every time we went into a lesson, we'd be like, we need to like have a spirit with us. Like, salvation, exaltation is in the balance, right? We are so intense. We're like, we need to be on top of our game. And I learned how to, uh, so much about how, how to teach with the spirit from, from Elder Peckham. He was a great teacher. And I think just like getting yourself in the right mindset before we went into every lesson and like really understanding how important what we were doing was, um, was so helpful because we were like, you know, these people could go either way. They could tell us to stop coming over any moment. It took us like two months to get Sarah to even say a prayer. Like for some reason, she didn't want to pray we were trying so hard to overcome that concern and figure out what the root cause was and why she didn't want to pray. Eventually she did and got baptized soon after she prayed because she got an answer. And, and, um, wow. they were, there were two people that, uh, we went and visited when we went back and visited and went out to dinner with them. Um, so they were just so incredible. Um, and the Yates family too, the Yates family was hilarious. So we had to go visit them and all the, all the youths, <laughs> they're all grown up and post mission by that time, but it was a good time. Um, and, Kind of while I was out, everybody was waiting. Everyone wants you to get Dear John, right? If you have a girlfriend, they want you to get Dear John, and they tell you you're going to get Dear John, especially Christian Lucas. Christian had like a bad Dear John experience, I think, and was really bitter about it. <laughs> True. So he's always like, you're going to get Dear John, and you're going to deserve it, and everyone does, and there's no way you're getting through this. So, so my Dear John story was weird, though, because I got like an email and a letter from my girlfriend saying like, are you okay? Like you haven't said anything about what happened. Like, is everything all right out of the blue? And I was like, what is she talking about? And then she was like, kind of getting mad at me. Like, why aren't you responding? Like you've had this for months now or like a month or something. 
And apparently when I was in Cumbernauld in my previous area, she had sent me my Dear John letter. It had gotten lost or something. And so I got the post Dear John, like, are you okay? Before I got the actual Dear John, which was so funny. I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she thought I was lying. She thought I'd gotten Dear John and was just like ignoring it. But then like, like I think a month after it should have gotten to me, and like after the other letters and emails, I get this letter in the mail and it's in this plastic bag with a tire track over it. And it got like run over, must have fallen off a track. It was like all crumbled up. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And I pull it out and read it. And sure enough, it's my dear John letter from like a month before. And I was like, I told her, I was like, I finally got it. And I was like, it's fine. She's like, I still want to write you and stuff, but I want to date around. And I was like, that's great, you know, do, do your thing. But it was so funny because she like put her heart into this and I like hadn't even seen it. And so Krishna was still there and was so happy when he when I told him I'd gotten dear John and a lot of the other missionaries were too, because they were bitter. But my companions always liked it because what they'd get, you know, the food and stuff, because my girlfriend sent me a bunch of packages. Um yeah. So anyway, so then I served with uh I was with Peckham for three months. So that was I think my first three month companion at the at right after right at, at a year basically, and then I go to um, Dundee and serve with Justin Van Leuven, which he is so funny. You guys got to have him on. He's from Redding, California, um, and he was awesome. He was <laughs> he had a good time. We taught uh, a recent convert family there, which was like this epic family because it was the only family I'd heard of, which was a husband and wife and children who all got baptized together. It was a husband and wife and two children. And they had all gotten baptized. And these, when these missionaries baptized them, I think it was like eight months or something before or six months, the whole mission heard about it. They're like a family, you know, we we're always searching for families to baptize. And it was like a family got baptized. So we went and, and met with them a lot and we'd always go to their house and try to help them with, with staying active and everything. And they, they, they were, we were great and, and, and did stay active and, and they were incredible. And then there was a family called the Thompsons there, um, which was a husband and wife and the wife had kind of fallen away. We helped her come back and he just had like three or four dogs that he'd always be walking. And so we'd always go on walks with him and talk to him and he'd come out on lessons with us. And his, his wife came to church when we were there and, and it was awesome. Um, there was another guy there named, oh, I can't remember his last name. His name was John. Um, but he had this really cool experience where he was trying to get a, a restoration of blessings. He, he hadn't been, I guess it's not fully excommunicated, but like this fellowship or something. And he worked so hard and he was getting pretty old. And I remember the day where he came in and his eyes were just twinkling and he said he'd gotten approved for his restoration of blessings. And they had, they'd done it, I think over the phone or something like a 70 had called him and, and interviewed him and got it. And he was just so happy. And when we went back to visit him, we went to go see him. And I somehow remembered where he lived, you know, just based off, you know, memory. I got really lost in Scotland a lot of times when we were driving around because I was, didn't know any addresses and was just confident I'd find stuff. We went to visit him and he had passed away. Uh, his wife told us, but like he was so happy that he was able to get his restoration of blessings before passing on. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Amazing. So then Van Leuven left after his six week stint with me. I stayed in Dundee and Matt Fissler from San Diego, California uh, came and joined. And we had a kind of crazy experience. We were driving from, oh, what was the area? An area down south of us. We were driving back home to Dundee and we were in uh, Vauxhall Corsica. Yes, the big one, the four door one, not the two door one. And we were driving home and I'm passing a car on 
on the it was kind of like a little highway it was like a two lane but it was like you you went pretty fast it was like 60 or something so i'm passing this car's going and i'm passing it and it was dark and i didn't realize there was a hill and so all of a sudden we see headlights coming up like pretty close on the other side of the hill and so i'm gunning it and i get like halfway to the car and i'm like we're gonna get in a head-on collision and fistler the whole time is just like looking at me like like looking at me he's like smiling thinking i'm gonna slow down and get back but at one point i was too I don't think I had enough time to get behind the car next to me. And then I was like, should I downshift and like jump it? But if you downshift one of those cars going that fast, they didn't take it very well. And it could like rumble and slow the car down. Right. So I was like, I can't downshift, but we're going really slow in front of this car. And it was crazy because the car to the, to the side of me didn't slow down, even though they saw I was trying to pass them. And if anything, they were trying to speed up. And then the car coming head on could see us in their lane and they sped up too. Like they weren't, or at least they weren't slowing down. And so we're going, we're going, we're going. I barely get, I'm like, I think I might be good. And this car is like, honestly, like it had to have been like a couple feet in front of, well, probably a few yards just in front of us. And last thing I just, I just go over and I'm like, I'm going to hit the car to the side of me and we're both going to go off the side of the road, but at least we don't get in a head on collision. And I just zoom and the car just goes flying past us. We barely don't nick the car <laughs> that we're passing. And Fistler is just sitting there with his feet up on the dash, just like, ah, like just screaming his head off as we're like getting in front. Barely make it. And he didn't talk to me the whole rest of the drive back. He had his feet up on the dash, leaning back with his hands on his head and his eyes just huge because I think his life flashed before his eyes. And we just, he didn't say a word to me the whole, like it was like an hour drive or something. Did not talk to me the whole rest of the way. I've had a moment like that in my life and I can understand why he felt that way. Gosh. It was scary. So another miracle (laughs) of not dying in a car. Um, (laughs) So that was good. We taught a guy named David Finley there, and he was one of those people who we went to an address. Somebody gave us a fake address. We went and knocked, and David Finley answered the door, and he was just like an awesome guy. We're like, this dude's going to be like a bishop. Like He like so put together, so smart. He had like a PhD, I think, in religion. Super awesome. So we taught him for a while, and he was like kind of kind of back and forth. And then we had President Frederick was in Dundee one day, and we said, can you come to this lesson with us? So we go to this lesson, President Frederick comes to his, his flat, we teach him this lesson, and it was just like, President Frederick is just incredible. He like, well, I taught with him twice, and both times he just like knew exactly what to say. He just walks in, hardly knows this person, just follows the spirit, says exactly what they need to hear at the exact right time. And he just, he converts this dude just by talking to him. He finally gets over the hump. All his concerns are gone. He's like, oh, I feel the spirit really strong. And then President Frederick goes, let's say, let's kneel down and say a prayer right now. And, and you ask if the church is true and if you should join and you'll get your answer right now. And so we kneel down. David Finley says the prayer. He opens his eyes. The spirit is just so strong. And then president Frederick just yells out and he's like, ah, I have a Charlie horse. It's a Charlie horse. And he's like yelling and we're like, president, you just like blew us all away. And then you scream. Um, But we get up and, and David's like, I got my answer. The church is true. I'm going to get baptized. And we're like, yes. So he goes, I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my family. And he, he lived in Glasgow. His family was from Glasgow. So he's like, I'm going to go back to where my family lives, go to Glasgow. I'm going to tell my interfaith group. So him and a buddy had created an interfaith group that had uh, Muslims, Jews, and Christians. And I think some other religions too, where they'd all meet uh, monthly or weekly or something in Glasgow. So he went to Glasgow all the time for his interfaith group. He was running He's like, I got to go tell them and tell them how exciting it is. And the whole time we taught him, he was super surprised. He goes, I've never seen a Christian church be attacked more than your guys' by other Christians. 
He's like, I see, I see stuff online. I see Catholics attacking you guys. I see Protestants. I see all this stuff online. Why do they attack you? And I was like, so he'd come to church. He'd been progressing for a while, um, realized that everything he'd learned online was a lie, and then goes back to do it. So he goes back. He tells his inner faith group. His inner faith group, that's the name of the group, tells them that he's going to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a group he started. And they told him, you will be kicked out of this group if you join that church. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. What is that? Uh, My mind was blown. And I know like stuff like that happens sometimes, but I was like, what? Like You have like Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims and, you know, a bunch of different sects of, of Judaism and Christianity, and you can't join our church, right? Yeah, um, goodness. So I was, I couldn't believe it. And then slowly he like, he had had that witness and slowly he like fell away and was like, I just can't do it. I, I've started this group. This like has been my life. And he like knew what he was doing was wrong and like felt bad about it. And we tried everything we could to convince him to, to follow his answer. And he didn't end up joining. And it was so sad to see that. You know, I have I had a couple of instances like that in my mission too, and I think that those people will be honored at some point. You know, mm-hmm. for for the the thought that they had felt the spirit, the intention was I would if I could, based upon circumstances. But man, those are like heart wrenching experiences on your mission when you see somebody get that close, and then something happens that just derails it all. Yeah. It was a huge bummer. Yeah, um, for sure. But I still talk, I still talk to him from time to time and like message him on Facebook or whatever. And he's, oh, wow. he moved to like China for a long time and did some stuff there. But yeah, he was like one of the, like, it's like this dude's going to be Bishop, like his second year in the church. Like he was so solid and such a good leader in person. Yeah. Well, that maybe one day that, that could be a benefit um, in disguise. You know, having gone to live in China, yeah. you know, going there as a Christian might have been a a conflict, and maybe that's the reason. Who knows? He might find it again in the future. That's true. You never know. But we, yeah, we had a great experience with him, and such a good guy. Um, cool. Okay, three more companions I have here. Okay, so <laughs> Joseph Patel. He's from Gloucester, England. He was awesome. He was he was such a great missionary. Um, he taught with the spirit so well. He's incredible. But a couple of quick stories about him. So he was a loud snorer. He snored all the time. And I've never <laughs> told him this, but there were several nights where he was snoring so loud. I just couldn't sleep. I didn't know what to do. So what I would do is I'd grab a pillow and just hit him in the face and then quickly put my pillow down and, and pretend like I was asleep. And he'd wake up and look around confused and then go back to sleep. And then I would just, it was a race and I was racing to fall asleep before he fell asleep again. Cause there was no chance I was falling asleep when he was snoring. I'm sorry, Elder Patel, but that was, it was me that woke you up all those nights and I'm sorry. It's my confession, but you, he was, he was awesome. But we did also with him, we got in a car crash. Those, um, I wasn't driving unbelievably. Um, you know, those, we, we were right by a park there, um, in Dundee and the Bingham ward this big park right there and there was cobblestone roads and we were there in the winter when i was with him and so he was driving and it was super icy and it was so sad because we were going down to another area like is perth near dundee I yeah think, maybe just perth Ward, just perth directly Branch. west uh-huh yeah so we went out of branch the missionaries there were in the 
um, branch presidency. I think, uh, I think Leo Humphreys was in the branch presidency. My second companion was there at the time yeah. and, we, and we were going to bomb Perth and the, the, the branch president was like all into missionary work, which was awesome. Cause it wasn't that frequent that that happened. And so he's like, let's, let's get all the missionaries from the zone. Let's come down here. So we're going down, we're going to pick up a bunch of missionaries. We're going to bring all these book of Mormons. We're going to go down. We're driving down that cobblestone road right by our flat. And he turns left and just slides and slams into the curb. And we broke the axle of the car. Oh, geez. And as we're sitting there, a car does the exact same thing, hits us as we're in the car and rear ends us. <sighs> and then they leave. And then we went home because we like we, we called, we had to go call the mechanic, come fix the car and call the, the mission office. So we're home and it's freezing. It was so cold. So walking home was really cold. Get back. Um, and then we go to meet the mechanic down there and we go back down there and the car had been hit once or twice more. And our car was just in like a dead zone, but we couldn't move it. Like the axle was broken. So we are so sad, but the branch president was just devastated. Cause we're like, we can't get the missionaries. No one else has a car. I'm so sorry. We can't make oh, it. Geez. It was a bummer, but it was, yeah. <laughs> what an experience. Here's, here's the thought though. Maybe you weren't supposed to go that night. Yeah. You Maybe know? we would have died on the, on the freeway on the way there because of how icy it was. Yeah. I mean, when the roads are icy in Scotland, they are icy, you know, yeah. and they can, they have no means of making it any less icy until sunshine might hit something. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? That was, that was maybe something that heavenly father said, you know what? Let's not go over the top on this. That's my that, thought anyway. That is a great thought. And I had not thought of that. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. I feel yeah. a lot better now. Letting down that branch president. Oh, I'm <laughs> but, sure uh, he survived, and he uh, did. you know, a little disappointment is better than people losing lives. That's true, and I'm I'm, I'm guessing they did that the next transfer and went and, and bombed sure. bombed Perth. Um, so then I moved down to Edinburgh after that, um, and I served with Jake Mulford and Matt Fissler. Um, so Jake Mulford is from Fruit Heights, Utah. Matt Fissler. I'd served with him like two transfers before in Dundee. So we were in a trio together. He was going home in like two or three weeks or something. So we were in a trio just for a little bit, but we had such a good time together. We only had two beds. So one person slept just in, in the middle of the two beds on the ground and we would take turns <laughs> sleeping on the ground. We called ourselves the three amigos and it was great to be back in Edinburgh. Um, there was a, a member there that I hadn't met the first time. I was in the same ward as the first time I was there. Um, so I was, in, I was there the first time for three months, the second time for three months. So a quarter of my mission was in Edinburgh. There's a member there I hadn't met named Derek Kilpatrick. Uh, he went by Deke, Deke Kilpatrick. And he had a buddy in the ward as well. And we'd, we'd go over to their house. There was two single guys and we'd have boys night in. So we'd always go over there for like dinner and share a lesson with them. And it was the best. We'd have boys <laughs> night in and they'd order a, a chippy or order pizza or order Chinese food, you know, and like every night they were just like every weekend they would have us over for, for boys night in and we had a great time with them and they did a great job sharing the gospel with their friends and inviting people over and we taught people at their house and they were awesome. So I tried That's to cool. visit Deke when I went back to visit because I really wanted my wife to meet him, but he was in, I think Las Vegas when I was there or, or somewhere <laughs> in the States. I think he had, he met a girl from Vegas and was like visiting her or something, a woman. Hmm. Um, but they were like two older guys, like maybe like fifties or something. And they, they treated us so well. That's awesome. Um, and then we also uh, went to the Matiers quite a bit. Um, they had a, a son that was getting ready for a mission named Aaron Matier. Um, and they were really cool. They had um, 
his, so Sister Matir, her nephew was named Brock Sign, and I went to high school with him. Huh? So they, 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 his, her sister had moved to the, to the U.S., to Utah, and we went to East together. And so that was a fun connection, and, and seeing them over there and, uh, was, was fun to meet. And so I was, like, messaging Brock about it, like emailing him about how I met his family and stuff. So that was really cool. They were telling him about it. Hmm. Um, and they were a great family. They, they had us over a lot and, and treated us really well and, and uh, gave us a lot of good ideas for finding people and stuff. So That's amazing. Got to give them a shout out. Okay, we're on the last one. So I was so so Fissler went home, and then I was with Mulford for another transfer. So I think Mulford I was with for three months, and Peckham, I think those were the only two. And then Elder O'Donohue, I was with him for like eight weeks, and same with Fissler because of the the trios we were in. So then, oh sorry, Jake Clark, I was with her three months too. So I guess three. Um, so that was great. So I go to Jake, I go with Jake Clark to Air uh, on the west coast of Scotland in the Paisley Stake. Um, not too far from Irvine, just I think it's the next ward south of Irvine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the west coast of Scotland is just the best. Those wards there were incredible. Um, it was like everything I'd hoped a mission to be was being in those wards where like the, everybody was just cool and liked us and like helped us. Um, it was great. So Jake was a new missionary, so I trained him. So he's the third missionary I trained. And we get, I get to the, we get to the place. So we, you know, you go to the mission home, you pick up the missionary and then air was really far, right. Compared to other areas all the way on the West side of the country, which it's not that big, but you know, it took us a while to get there. So it was like eight 30 at night. So we get there and our leaders picked us up, take us to the apartment. Um, they say, okay, put down your stuff and go invite five people to get baptized. And these are different people than, than the previous ones with Peckham. And I was like, okay. I was like, it's like eight 30. Like, we got to unpack still. Like I figured we'd unpack and just go to bed. So I go invite five people and I was like, all right. Um, so we go out there and, and I was like, Hey, Jake, you get elder Clark, you got to invite, um, the first person, right. I always try to make them the training missionary do something. I was like, you go invite. So the first person he goes invite invites to be baptized is Andrew Kincaid. And we just meet him on the street in downtown air. And He's like, yeah, sure. I'll come to your church tomorrow. You can teach me at your church and uh, we'll see about baptism stuff. But yeah, I'd be interested to learn about your church. And we're like, yeah, okay. We get told that all the time. And I was like, if they say meet me at your church and don't give us their address, there's no way they're coming, right? So we're like, okay. So we go invite four other people to get baptized, um, go home, go to sleep. The next day, Andrew Kincaid shows up at church and we teach him at church. He progresses really well, has these amazing experiences. And then Bishop Gilardi, he was the bishop of the ward. And he, when I was in Irvine, he like didn't like missionaries. So like we had like, oh, air is kind of struggling. The, the bishop doesn't like missionaries and he's kind of against them. And he's like this big Italian, Scottish, ex-Catholic guy, um, yeah. like super, like super loud, super funny, but like, like you don't want to mess with him, right? Like you don't want to be on his bad side. <laughs> and so the only interaction I had with him before was he had a, a place called Stobbs the Baker. He owned Stobbs. So shout out to Stobbs. Go to Scotland, go to Stobbs. Great bakery. Breakfast sandwiches are incredible. All the good Scottish breakfast stuff and, and bakery <laughs> stuff is there. So we went there because he gave missionaries free baked goods. But I was like scared when we were in Irvine to go there and get it. Because I was like, I hear this guy doesn't like missionaries and he doesn't know us. He might not like us. So he comes over to our apartment. Like we go and teach Andrew Kincaid and then we keep teaching him. That day, Bishop Jolari was like, can I come to your apartment? And he comes over and was like, yeah, you're, you're in this ward now. And like, I've had problems with like leaders in the past and stuff and like tries to be nice about it. But like, seemed like he didn't like, you know, the missionary leadership in, in the, in the mission or anything. 
And so he just kind of wanted to see what I was going to do there. And I was like, no, no, like, yeah, we, we'd love to work with you. And, and, uh, you know, you know, we, we had like kind of an awkward interaction in our apartment. I was like, I don't think he's supposed to come to our apartment. Um, <laughs> but I like didn't know how to say no because he was too intimidating. So, I, so he's kind of like reading me. Right. And so we're like, all right, we'll see how this goes. But then as we, we meet with him more, he's like, I want to trust you. I want to trust the missionaries. Um, I, he goes, I was really against missionary work for a long time. And then President Frederick came and spoke to all the, the, the bishops in the Paisley stake, um, including um, the, the stake president. Um, and President Yates was really on board with missionary work, but not all the, and so was Billy Govins from Irvin, but a lot of the other Paisley stake bishops were not. And um, uh, Umberto Gilardi was one of those. So he goes, he goes, he came in and he just like, was like, why would you fight against missionaries? Like President Frederick was like, do you guys want to be fighting against missionaries that are here to help your, your wards grow and help people come into the faith? Like these missionaries are just trying their best and they can be kind of intense and over the top sometimes, but they're here to help you. They're called of God to help you guys. Um, and, and you guys aren't, aren't like helping them. Like, like, are you guys going to keep fighting against the mission or are you going to join it and, and help us progress? And like, we want to work with you guys and this is your country. Like, what can we do to help you? And was like, kept more interactive that way. And, and, uh, the spirit just touched Gilardi's heart. He said, he's like, he's like, I realized what I was doing was wrong. And he just pulled a complete 180 and just helped missionaries like crazy. So all the joint teachers we were going on were with the bishop and with like the Relief Society president, which I'd never seen. I'd never seen anything wow. like that in all my areas. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the reason why my mission was two months later than I had hoped. This is why instead of leaving during that semester, I had to miss the whole semester of school and come in June instead of going in like, February or March or, or April. Um, and it, everything clicked. Everything I thought a mission was going to be was in the air ward. And it grew and grew and grew. They had like every person passing the sacrament was like a less active who'd come back or a recent convert. And, and, and it was just baptizing like crazy. All these people were getting converted and, it, and the bishop just led that effort and was leading the ward of missionary work. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, Andrew Kincaid got baptized that first <laughs> baptismal invite from Jake Clark. Um, and it was just incredible to see that ward change and grow. And while I was there, the second transfer, I was there, two more missionaries joined the ward. So we had four missionaries in air. And then the second transfer, we had six um, because uh, President Frederick's like, yeah, you guys are doing well. Like you have a bishop on board. You have a state president on board, really society president, like take, take more missionaries. We'll reward you with that. And it just kept growing and growing. And it was just in incredible to see. And, um, when, when we went and visited Scotland, we stayed with uh, the Gilardi. So Umberto was the bishop when I was there. He wasn't the bishop when we went back uh, anymore, but his wife, Angie, and his kids, Christiana and uh, uh, Santino, were just an awesome family. They came to Utah and visited a couple of times, uh, met my wife and met my family, my siblings and stuff. And then we went and, and stayed with them while we were there. And, um, and yeah, so I got to mention a couple other things about this area because they're just so incredible. And sorry, I know you guys probably want to go to bed. Um, I'll wrap it up. Um, but I get there, and the first uh, Sunday I'm there, they, Bishop Gilardi talks about how uh, Stuart Lang um, can now speak in church because he's back in the gospel and progressing towards baptism. And I look up at him and realize my first area, I had I'd met that lady, Jackie Lang, who called my girlfriend, right? Mm. Um and her ex-husband who left the church was Stuart Lang. And now he, my last area, I'm watching her ex-husband. He'd gotten married to someone else um, and was getting baptized. Wow. 
And I was like, I just got the chills. And another reason I was like, I am supposed to be here right now. Like this is incredible from the start of the mission to see this guy change his life, turn it around, get back in the gospel um, was absolutely incredible. Um, and then his wife, after I came home, his wife got baptized. The, the missionaries in the other area and air were teaching his wife. So she got baptized too, um, wow. which was amazing. And then the Cairns were a couple there that were awesome and, and helped us out a lot. And then the Sharkies were incredible. Um, George and Eileen Sharkey were awesome. And they would have us over all the time. They were, they were like, I think maybe in their 60s or 70s. But like Sister Sharkey gave me this huge, giant pa- painting of a castle that was there near near air and uh had me put it in the bottom of my bag and like wrapped it up all nice because i was this is my last area and yeah. and gave it to my mom so she's like take this painting home and give it to your mom and they were just the sweetest people and so when we went back and visited when we we stayed with the gelardis gelardi invited over the the langs and the cairns and the sharkies and we had like this big party and like seeing all of them again was just absolutely incredible to to see all of them and I, they were all like quite a bit older than me and my wife, but we like, we like want to be in their friend group. It's like, we want to hang out with you guys all the time because they're hilarious. They're fun, but also so spiritual. Um, and so they're just, yeah, the air warb was, was amazing. That was, you're not supposed to say favorites, but that was my favorite. <laughs> no doubt. That last orb was like everything I wanted a mission to be. Um, and so, yeah, it was awesome. And then just so you guys know, I came home a year later, I married Jackie who had dear John me. She is my wife now. No so. way. She dear Johnny, but I got home and she was she'd been dating people, but still around. And and we started dating again and and got married. So yeah, she's awesome. Love That's my amazing. Life. Please she, tell me you saved the letter that she, that was run over by co- the car. And oh, I got it. It's like it's like a relic of your relationship. Yeah, That's going th- going through this stuff. I'm pulling out all the old mission stuff. I do like a Scottish Chad thing with my kids, where they're not sure if I'm really chad or not they don't really know if i'm like a different person but i pretend like i'm someone from scotland visiting and then the real chad somewhere like in the bathroom or not home so i do that i started this thing where i do that every conference so that last conference and then this conference so when when you guys brought this up i was like i gotta go get my mission stuff out and check stuff out and then i put on the kilt and the jimmy hat and danced around that's part of the reason i couldn't dress up today i probably shouldn't have told you that i didn't dress up because if my kids ever see this they'll know that i'm really scottish chad Oh, okay. there, there you go. That's that's fair reason. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it. Sorry for the for the long thing, but I actually oh wrote gosh. some stuff down because I was like, there's so many stories. I I know I'm going to miss out too much stuff if I don't. No. Ultimately, time. you've covered a lot. The question that I have for you, just to kind of come to the end of your mission, is you had to finish your mission as the Fredericks went home, right? Yeah. So I. Yeah, we went we went to the Pratt's Hill to report back right at the end of the mission. And then I left and then the Fredericks came home the next transfer, very next transfer. So wow. they came home and then we all went, you know, a bunch of missionaries went to their homecoming and, and saw them and and yeah, it was awesome. And then we we've been to their house a few times. We went to their house during COVID. Uh, we just drove up and pulled up and President Frederick was out there. Every every time I see people, they're just wearing their G top. He was out like in his front yard with just his G top on, and and I I drove up and he calls me, my name's Elder Bauckham. You got it right, Zach. But he calls me uh, Balcom. Oh Bauckham. really? Every time he sees me, he goes Elder Balcom. And he called me it with such force the first few times of the mission. <laughs> I couldn't correct him. I was like, that's fine. I was like, his son knows how to say my name, and his son actually, Paul and Andrea, um, 
Paul's wife, Andrea, they came over when I was in Alawa and came and had dinner with us in Sterling or lunch with us in Sterling, oh, wow. which is really cool. And I keep waiting for Paul to like tell his dad how to say my name, but he hasn't. Um, so all the missionaries <laughs> would laugh and be like, hey, Elder Balcom, you know, and say it with his low, powerful voice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're awesome. Him and Babs, we go, we go see them from time to time. And my wife loves them. They love my wife and like, and our kids and, and Babs is always giving them treats and having them having them go play in the backyard and stuff whenever we have gone over to reunions over there or stop by to say hi um but yeah they're they're a great couple they we love the fredericks huh that's amazing yeah the reason i asked that is because i watched them come into the mission and i had them as as my mission president and um and wife for my last six months of my mission and so you know it's just unique like 18 months of my mission were with the Vrains and then I had that portion with the Fredericks. And so I didn't get to know them very well. I was in leadership and obviously had a couple of instances where I got to be around them, but not enough for them to know me well enough to be like, Hey, we know you. And I've actually run into them a few times and they didn't remember me, which that's fine. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I was, I was like, I'm sure it was the jet lag portion of them getting re- getting into the mission before everything really took off. But, uh, you know, I think they're great people and they did a, a, a wonderful job. And, you know, just hearing your experiences all the more shows the way in which they impacted Scotland, which is really cool. Yeah, they were, they were incredible. And I think, I mean, I came in a year, they've been there for a year, so they definitely had their feet wet by that point. They had decided the direction the mission was going. Um, that's when we got, you know, really into member work and, and baptizing quickly and all that stuff. So it was like, there was, there was a direction and I'm sure it takes a while to get to that point when you start out. Yeah, for sure. Well, just to finish up, you've named all of your companions and some great missionaries. Is there anyone else that you can think of that you want to hear from on this mission, on this podcast as your, uh, as an opportunity to call them out that, uh, that you're thinking of that you need to send it to? That's a good question. So yeah, definitely all my companions. I'd recommend all those, all those people. And that's a lot, but I'd recommend all them. Um, and I said Sean Wait, I think. Yeah. Um I would also have on uh Chad Nilsson. Okay. He was awesome. Uh he was a really good missionary. And we were in the MPC together. He was one of the ones that would sing the Star Spangled Banner with me. Okay. Um, the national <laughs> the national anthem when we were running around the MTC bothering the English Englishman. Um, yeah, I think that gives you a, a pretty good list. All the companions. There's, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of others I think I could mention, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've really given us a feast of things. So thank you so much for <laughs> taking time. Um, you are a new record holder. I'll just make that statement. Yes. I'm sorry. I, I'm happy, but also not. That's kind of sad, actually. But. No, here's my thing, though. And I'm, I'm just going to... The, the one thing that we've learned in this whole process is that we're all intertwined in our experience in Scotland. And amazingly, apart from a handful of missionaries that you mentioned, I don't know any of your companions, but Elder Coford. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the fact that the work carried on for the, all the time that it did beyond when we got home and, you know, it's just amazing the, the amount of people that 
have been there and impacted the people in Scotland and everyone has their own story. And so that's why we love doing what we're doing is because we love hearing those stories and reflecting on commonalities and our favorite people. And, you know, cause they, they had an impact on us as just as much as the land of Scotland did. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so more than anything, you've, you've treated us well, we appreciate it. I know that those who are listening will love hearing from you and know and knowing what you're up to these days. And, you know, this is the goal is just to continue to connect more people and share experiences. And like you said, refresh those memories that will be fleeting at some point in our life, but we've got them recorded and we can listen to them forever, which is awesome. Yeah. So. This is great. I'm excited for my kids to listen to this someday. And it's going to be interesting as you go younger and younger, you're eventually going to get to Scotland, Ireland missionaries, right? When it combined about a year after I got home, I think. I don't know yeah. if you're crossing that barrier or not. I think, I think we'll cut it off there because this, <laughs> the, this is the Scotland Edinburgh mission. I'm sorry, you know, no, no, uh, no hard feelings there, but uh, you know, we're not going to bridge that gap. I don't think. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get as many people as we can to go to the, um, Go to the reunion they do. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go to that reunion. I know the reunion says Ireland now too, but they have that reunion in like Mill Creek or Holiday, Utah. Every yeah, it's like the Olympus Cove building, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't been to that in a long time. It's been a minute. Yeah, we should recruit people, and I'll go this year because last time I went, it was like me and one other missionary (laughs) with the Fredericks and and some of the. the other the older couples that that serve missions so it'd be cool to get a bunch of people to to get together and, and hang out yeah for sure i mean that's obviously one common place but jack and i have talked a lot about like where where's some somewhere like middle of the world between all the different english missionaries and we had missionaries from all over europe and we have people from australia and you know all these different areas that are how, how would we all come together at once? It would be a really joyous reunion. But I uh, think the only thing that makes sense is we got to meet in Scotland. I think so. I, yeah. I think that'd be great. That'd be awesome. One of the, one of the uh, time, maybe in August, you know, go to the military tattoo in Edinburgh altogether. Like we could just sell out the whole building. It'd be un- oh, unbelievable. Yeah. That would be so fun. <laughs> I'd love that. Well, Chad, Again, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We love you and are so grateful that we have you as one of our brothers in Scotland. So we appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Great to meet you. Yeah, you too. Cheerio, mate. See ya. Bye-bye.